South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. We got anybody? Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right, and a very beautiful Sunday morning out there. It is this uh, getting down toward the end of January. Lots of things to talk about, lots of things to do. Unfortunately, probably a lot of things to cut back that got... Got a little nipped, uh, hopefully nothing serious, serious, but all the perennials that uh, typically freeze back certainly froze way back. number of other things that uh, don't freeze back unless it gets really cold. I'm talking about things like the asparagus spring rye, oh, perhaps things like flax lilies and uh, various things that normally will go down to 22, 23 degrees, well, when it got down to 15 or below around the area and even colder than that up in the hill country, those things froze back. Most of them are going to come back out, especially if they were mulched. Um, so just a lot of cutting back to do. Lots of, uh, lots of cleaning up to do, but welcome to Texas. Welcome to the unpredictability of the weather. And, oh gosh, so many things to do. Uh, getting close to time to plant potatoes. Certainly time to get your onions planted. Just so many different things that there are to talk about. But most important thing to me is what is on your mind. And Christy and Shannon both have questions. So let's just get started with phone calls. Good morning, Christy. Hey, good morning, Bob. How are you? I'm well. How are you this morning? I'm okay. Good. Beautiful sunrise. Yeah. Beautiful. I, I, you know, not quite as spectacular as yesterday, but golly, it's just, uh, uh, it, it just reminds you you need to go outside and look up every now and then. Well, we didn't see the sunrise yesterday in Mason. We were fogged in till about 2 o'clock. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, I didn't see it because I was sitting sitting here in the office broadcasting by the time the sun came up. But uh, Sunday, we started a little bit more civilized hours, so get to see the sunrise yeah. at least this time of year. But what's going on yeah. today? So I have a question. I'm trying to propagate one of my crepe myrtles from Halotus to plant okay. up here because the thing is 18 feet tall. I can't transplant it. Right. So I took eight cuttings, put them in, uh, you know, prepared nice sterile environment for them, moisted them, put a cap over them, and instead of growing roots, it looks like they're budding leaves. That's not surprising. That's that's not surprising. You probably where where do you have your cuttings? Where do you have that uh, pot of perlite that they're rooting in? Um, in. Not in direct sunlight in a nice warm room. Well, see, that's the problem because uh, those little cuttings think that it's spring. You don't want to let them freeze hard, but they need to be outside, you know, during this uh, these 40-degree mornings and things because that's what will slow down the development of those buds but still allow the cuttings to start forming roots. So uh, you probably don't need to take any more cuttings. You just need to move them back out and kind of delay that, uh, that sprouting of the buds because they can form roots uh, even even when the air is cool, the ideal thing would be to have a propagating mat to put them on so that the uh, lower part of the stem where you want the roots to form stays warm, but the top of the uh, cutting stays you know, nice and chilly so the buds don't try to break. So 
Uh, if you don't have a propagating mat, just, you know, put them outside in a bright place but not in direct sunlight. Bring them in if it's going to freeze, but I'm not seeing any of that on the horizon for the next 10 days at least. But uh, if you have a propagating mat, just put the whole shooting match outside and, uh, like I say, keep the roots warm but the top chilly, and uh, you'll slow down the buds and speed up the roots, if that makes sense. Yeah, would that work for my roses? And should I keep the should I keep the glass jar over it or expose them to the weather now? Well, exposure. It's, yeah, it it will uh, uh, it'll be fine for the roses as well. Glass jar, I you know what what I would do because I don't like seeing things just stay really really wet. But if you could, you know, take a couple little flat, I don't know, pieces of wood or something like that, raise that jar up so that it's not sealed down on top of the uh, of your rooting material. You want to have a little bit of air circulation going on, but I don't think I would necessarily take this necessarily take the jar all the way off on the roses. I probably would on the crepe okay. myrtles. Roses, you might not want to do that, but. Uh, um, uh, that that's how I would you know address it. Okay, well I'll give it a shot and I hope it works. I'm like uh, you guys aren't supposed to do this. You're supposed to push roots. Well, it's uh, again that that top you know the whole cutting thinks oh golly it must be spring must be march must be time to start growing and you would like the top of the plant to think that it's still february or january but the roots to think that oh it's nice and warm so i can go ahead and start growing and that's um again the years i used to be propagating manager for a nursery where we propagated them over about two million cuttings a year and we just kept things in coal frames you know big trays with two three hundred cuttings mm-hmm. per tray so uh, I, it's that's the way you do it, and it works pretty well. All right. So I don't have a propagating mat. Would a few layers of cardboard and newspaper do well on the bottom? No, you don't need to worry about that. Uh, you would like something that generates heat, but um, if you don't have a propagating mat, just put one on your Valentine's Day wish list. I sure will. All right. Thank you so much, and I'll let you know in a few weeks what's going Well, on. I look forward to hearing from you, Christy, and I appreciate the call this morning. <laughs> Thank you. Ah, next in line is Shannon. Good morning, Shannon. Hi, Bob. How are you doing? Uh, again, it's just a beautiful morning out there. Glad we're away from the severe cold, but uh, this is this is what January really is supposed to be like around here. So no complaints for me. I'll wear my jacket in the morning and my short sleeves in the afternoon. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm going to do. Good. Um, so I have a raised bed, and I had the um, nematodes, so I planted the elbow and I per your instructions, but now I don't know what to do with it. Is this the time I should, do I pull it out or do I turn it in or? Um, and, and no, what is it? Oh, you planted the, the cover crop over the top? Yes, it's in the raised bed. And I just, I didn't plant anything in that bed except for the Albana rice. I would uh, probably go ahead and leave it there for another, well, up until whenever you're ready to start planting whatever crops you're going to put in there uh, because what happens is the root knot nematodes not the beneficial nematodes but the root knot nematodes burrow into the roots of that elbon rye but then because of chemicals in the roots they can't get back out 
you know, sort of the Hotel California situation. You can check out, but you can't leave. And so uh, even if you do nothing, they will ultimately die because the roots of the Elbon rye are going to die when it, uh, when it really gets hot. But at this point, um, there's not really any reason to pull it up. And you may have, as the soil is starting to warm slightly, you may have more root-knot nematodes active in there. So go ahead and give them a chance to burrow into the roots of the rye. And then what... What is your ultimate plan? What do you plan to grow in this bed? That one's probably going to be tomatoes because that's what well, I've had more problems with. Well, and so it's uh, it's six weeks probably until you want to be wanting to put tomatoes in the ground. So just put it on the calendar at about five weeks. Go in and, you know, pull that up or cut off the top. Like I say, you don't have to necessarily get rid of it because the nematodes can't get back out. So they're going to die anyway. But it'll make it a little bit easier for you to plant your tomatoes and things. And Elbon Rye does not have a huge root system. Just where you can, since this is not a huge area, um, just get a little exercise. Just Pull it up and throw it in the compost pile. Okay, very good. Thank you so much. Good question, Shannon. Appreciate the call, and thank you. Okay. You too, and goodbye. All right, let's go ahead and uh, take one more caller before we take a break, and that would be Mike. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, sir. Uh, a little while ago, you told a lady that uh, look up in the sky and enjoy the beautiful uh, sky. Uh huh. Sunrise. Reminded, yeah, the sunrise, and it reminded me of a sticker. Man, I worked for on water wells. Had a sticker on the back of the truck that says "Look up and live." And <laughs> I thought, well, I thought he said "Live it up." Ah, uh, well, no, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. My my business partner's mother. Uh, who worked for us at one point many years ago, uh, she had her sign up, and it said, if God had meant for man to see the sunrise, he would arrange for it to come up a little later in the day. <laughs> That's pretty good. Bob, I wanted to ask you about some of my plants. Uh, I'll be drinking a Coca-Cola if there's a little bit left in the bottom of it. I've been pouring it on the plants just to see if it uh, help it out. Is that good, bad, or any comment on that? Well, if it's sugar-free, I wouldn't. You're not going to get anything out of it. If it's, you know, that uh, I gave up drinking most uh, that kind of carbonated stuff a while, a few years back. But uh, if it's regular Coke that has all the sugar syrup in it, then it's right. very definitely. Um, you know, helping the microbial life in the soil. If it's the zero sugar, artificially sweetened or whatever else, you're not really getting anything at all out of it. And we've learned that caffeine, <clears throat> up to a point, uh, can be a, a growth retardant. It can actually stunt the growth of things. And if you're drinking a Coke or two every day and you've got a few swallows left, you're not going to have any negative impact. But if you're one of these uh, Cocaholics that uh, some of the kids seem to be, and you're you're drinking ten cokes a day, you might end up doing a little bit of stunning just because cokes are full of caffeine, as are you know many of the colas out there. So you don't want to overdo it, but the amount of stuff you're talking about, no. And if it's a sugared form, I would say that the benefits outweigh the potential problems. Yeah, it's in a uh, very slight amount on the on the plants. Sure, and, uh, I know I know sugar helps. Yeah, and, uh, well, just to... don't don't put it on the plant. Put it on the soil. But uh, yeah, on that's that's 
good little benefit from things. Put it on the leaves, it's going to be sticky, and you may have mold grow on the sugar that's in there. But putting it on the soil, good way to avoid putting it down the drain. Well, I try to follow up with a, a little bit of water afterwards just to kind of dilute it. But I just want to make sure. You can do that if you want to, but but adding the water afterwards is not at all necessary. Okay, well, that's all I wanted to ask. And uh, you have a good rest of the day, and uh, we'll talk again. I will look forward to it, Mike. Appreciate the call this morning. Thank you, sir. All right, we do have some open lines. Uh, we start a little later in the morning on Sunday, so it's uh, uh, and things do get jammed up uh, before too late. So if you want to avoid uh, busy signals, it's a good time to dial. You know the number, 210-599-5555. I get to take a moment here and talk about Wild Birds Unlimited, and uh, I, I just enjoy nature so much, and I enjoy talking about Wild Birds Unlimited because they have so many beautiful things for your yard. And if you're a nature lover, if you're a bird lover, they've got everything you could possibly want. If you just want something to make your porch or patio more attractive, oh man, they've got wind chimes and uh, sun catchers of various sorts. Wild Birds Unlimited is uh, just a great place to visit. And look at that calendar. We're almost to February. If you're hoping to attract purple martins this year, you don't have a house up, well, you better head out there and get a pole and a house and get it up because the scouts will be coming around pretty soon. And keep in mind, too, especially with the kind of severe cold we've had, the birds need nutrition. And that doesn't mean run to the grocery store and buy some summer blend seed mix, which is about all they have. It means go to Wild Birds Unlimited and get a special seed blend for the winter months and pick up some suet cake, too. There are many different suet cake products out there, and it really benefits the birds. Inexpensive, very easy to offer to the birds. They've got a very inexpensive little feeder there. You just need to go see what I'm talking about and talk to Kyle and all his staff. They can answer all your questions and so many accessories. There's just so many good reasons to go to Wild Birds Unlimited. Uh, They're out there in the shopping center at the corner of Hebner and Northwest Military, kind of on the side that faces Northwest Military. You know, from all the way out at the street, you're going to look up there and think, oh, that's just a little bitty sore up there. But, man, when you walk through the door, you're going to think, how did they ever get so many wonderful things in here? Find out what I'm talking about. Go see them today. They are Wild Birds Unlimited. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening on this beautiful morning. I knew everybody would be up in Edom this morning. And uh, we were over at the big international gift market last weekend is where I was. Don't have any more trips planned that will involve a weekend. So probably not going to have to listen to a best of for the next few months. But uh, anyway, maybe Easter. We'll see how that all goes. But glad to be back here. Uh, let me tell you, it was as cold in Atlanta as it was here. It was it was very frigid there and kind of kind of glad to be inside those huge buildings this time but always good to get home and always good to talk to talk to you my friends here on the radio it's going to be Bonnie and Minnie and Fred and Mac it's uh, or Mark I believe it's going to be Bonnie is up first though good morning Bonnie hi bob good morning um, I, I was trimming my roses and i kind of screwed up and i trimmed so? off a branch that i didn't want to trim so okay it, it's one that I have wanted to root. And at this uh-huh. point, I just took all the green stuff and put five to six nodes per thing and stuck them in wet perlite. Okay. Where do I go from here? 
And so how long are your little individual pieces that you cut and put in perlite? They range from probably four or five inches long to two or three. Okay. Two or three is better. Uh, you're probably okay at four or five, especially since you took the foliage off. But if you do this again, keep them, keep them down to about, you know, three, maybe four inches at the most. But at this point, uh, and it's interesting. I don't know if you heard my first caller this morning, but uh, no, she had I taken. No, I was doing other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, she she had taken some cuttings, uh, both of roses and of crepe myrtles, and said they weren't forming roots yet, but they were trying, you know, trying to sprout out on top. And the reason is she was keeping them inside where it was really warm. So the plants think, hey, it's March. It's time for us to start growing. You want to keep them, you want to keep the top of your cuttings relatively chilled because you really don't want leaves to grow while there are no roots to take up water to support them. Um, so probably you don't want them to freeze. But the ideal world would be to have a propagating mat, but to put them in a very chilly place so that the lower part of the stem would stay warm from the propagating mat, the top of the stem would stay chilly. Um, without a propagating mat, I would keep them in a, you know, in a pretty cool place. Uh, again, if you have a brightly shaded spot out of doors or if you have a, you know, a room that still gets good bright light but is not heated. It'd be real nice to keep those cuttings down in the 40 to 50 degree range uh, to get a chance for some root development before the top starts trying to put on leaves. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Um, so, how many should I, how far apart should I have these? I basically just stuck them all in one container with the plan to call you a couple of days later. As I'm when, doing now. Yeah, when back when I was doing this commercially for a big nursery, we would use a you know a metal pan actually that was probably 12 inches wide and uh, maybe 18 inches long, and we'd probably put 250 cuttings. So if you've got uh, if yours, what what size pot or do you have your your cuttings rooting in? Um, at this very moment, it's a cottage cheese carton, so I know they're way too tied in there and how many of them are there oh i would guess somewhere in the range of 30 oh okay well let's uh if you're using a cottage cheese carton that's fine as long as you have holes punched in the bottom so that it will drain but um ah that size you're looking at maybe five inches across the top you could probably put about six or eight cuttings per cottage cheese carton so eat some more cottage cheese (laughs) Well, I eat lots of yogurt, and they happen to be the very best propagating pots and rooting and make it up bigger that I've ever found. Well, that that was my breakfast this morning when I first got into the nursery was a little bit of Greek yogurt, and uh, I'm very partial to uh, something called paleonola granola, and they've got some real interesting, uh, you know, not super sweet or chocolatey kind of things. I'm not into that sort of stuff. But yogurt, yogurt uh, my only problem is the cats want to come in and steal it from me if I walk away from the bowl. So <laughs> I would say you're getting your day off to a good start. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, now, that, that we... size container, you know, five, six, seven cuttings, depending on how big the cuttings are, I think that would be about ideal for rooting. And uh, do you have a propagating mat? No, I don't. But I do have be... cool places I can put it. 
Yeah, it, it would be a wonderful thing to ask for for Valentine's Day. It's about a $30, $35 gift. And uh, it's just, it really speeds up rooting. Um, if you've repotted uh, some things that don't have a real good root system during the cooler months, it's just a great way to keep the soil a little bit warmer um, and yet still at the top of the plant experience whatever weather is appropriate so a great thing to have and it's just it's kind of like a rubber doormat with heating cables in it uh, like they use up north I understand uh, you know so you don't fall on the ice when you step out the front door but uh, these of course have kind of a built-in thermostat that maintains that temperature Oh, somewhere in the 70, 75 degree range. So they're they're a little bit different, but uh, again, gosh, I'm, how old is mine? Five, six years, and uh, functions just like the day I put it in my greenhouse. Well, that's tempting. This is a rose that I would really like to propagate. Mm-hmm. If I was going to start from scratch with my highest likelihood of success, what would I have done? Uh, same exact thing do? you... Uh, same thing you did. You would take mature wood, which is what you have. Uh, you don't want to wait till you get that real soft new growth. And uh, but rather than take one stem and you know cut it into eight pieces, you probably the tips, the the you know most uh, we would call it the most distal cutting you took. The one furthest out the stem is going to be the one that roots first. So if you are going to go propagate a bunch of them, and it's fine to do right now. If you want to have more of this rose, uh, go out because it's fe- February is when we generally cut our bush roses back. So it's time to prune them anyway. Uh, but you would have just used tip cuttings rather than going further down the stem. And that's the only thing uh, you do differently. You ought to step, strip off maybe not every leaf, but all except one or two little leaflets on there. And uh, uh, soaking them uh, in a dilute solution of liquid seaweed and garret juice, that will speed up the rooting. Rooting hormone is highly overrated, and it probably would not really do much of anything for you. But uh, other than that brief soak in uh, Super Thrive uh, seaweed, garret juice, whatever kind of mixture you want to make, and the fact that you would take a bunch of tip cuttings rather than a whole lot of cuttings from you know further down the stem, um, you're doing just fine. You choosing the right, if you're rooting in perlite, that's certainly the best material to use. Uh, you're keeping it moist, you're keeping it bright, but out of direct sun, and uh, you should do very well with it. Um, should I try and, um, I guess if I want to keep it cool, I don't want to make a little plastic greenhouse around it, do I? I want to leave it out to the world and just make sure I keep it damp. Underneath. Well, if yeah, if you want to do... A little greenhouse, just be absolutely certain it doesn't get any sun because that, what they call the greenhouse effect, is kind of like a car in a parking lot on a sunny July day. It's going to get extremely hot inside, and you don't want that. Um, if you had a little, oh, what they call warty in case, like a little itty-bitty miniature greenhouse <laughs> yes. that the top opens on, that would be perfect. Those, those are always so sweet and cute. <laughs> but just... they're useful, too. <laughs> Well, they they just look so wonderful, but I don't have a big enough place to put one, I don't think. Well, Why has anybody you, offered me one for Christmas, you know? <laughs> you, you need to get a new circle of friends and put your family on notice that they're going to be disinherited if they don't if they don't step up the program. But uh, I, it seems to me like we might have even bought some in Atlanta last week that are, you know, not big, maybe six inches by eight inches, and just about everybody can find. Obviously, you're not going to root 50 cuttings in one of those, but uh, 
there are the the and I could I don't want to take the time to do it, but uh, the origin of what are called Wardian cases is very interesting. Named for a fella in England uh, 150 years or 200 years ago, named Nathaniel Bagsdale Ward. But that's a whole other story. I'll let you get on with your day, and I'll get on with another caller in a minute. But uh, you call me back if you have more questions, and okay. uh, if you want to start some more rose cuttings, go out and get them today. And actually, that is an interesting story. I do know that story. You ought to tell folks when you need to fill a little air time. There you go. I'll make a note of that, Bonnie. And I uh, appreciate your calling so I didn't have any blank air time to fill. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Goodbye. All right. Uh, Minnie and Fred and Mark, hold on just a second because uh, I do need to get a break in here. I need to talk about azomite. I should say I get to talk about azomite because it's a product that I absolutely love. It is, I describe it as saying it's kind of like green sand on steroids. For the longest time, we've used green sand wherever we thought we were dealing with the deficiency of iron and perhaps zinc. Well, your azomite has lots more of those two trace minerals and about 80 or 90 others. It just has everything your plants could possibly want when it comes to micronutrients and compounds. It greens up things where yellowing is a problem. It promotes good, healthy growth. I think it increases the quality of the flowers on a lot of different plants, and there are just no negatives to it. Not an expensive product and nothing that will ever burn. You can get a form that is so finely micronized it can be sprayed on. I still like just because it's easier. I like the granular form that you can just sling out by the handful. We're looking, of course, at some yellowing in citrus trees right now, just as most everybody else is. And uh, that's on the agenda for some time this week. We'll be putting maybe half a cup around uh, every one of those trees in a container. Azomite's just so useful for so many different things. And like I say, there are absolutely no negatives to it. You'll find it at fine nurseries. Uh, for most purposes, choose the granular form because, again, it's a little bit easier to use, but doesn't stain, doesn't cause any problems. It just gives your plants all the micronutrients they need. It's from a natural ore. It's not chemically derived in any way, and it really does work. Remember the name, Azomite. Retired or retiring soon? How much money do you need to live comfortably? Retirement Planners of America is here for you. Would you like to have financial peace of mind? Here's how. Step 1. Find out the amount of money you'll need to retire. Step 2. Have a plan to get there. Step 3. Make sure that plan can take advantage of market gains but protect you from market losses. Discover how to do all three with a free consultation at 800-508-6108. That's 800-508-6108. All investments involve risk, including losses. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Imagine having all the money you need for retirement, all the income, every month guaranteed that's secure future investor an indexed annuity tied to growth in the stock market but without any risk of loss ever it's guaranteed money for life income no matter how long you live call 888-509-2228 888-509-2228 sponsored by gp agency inc raleigh north carolina license in all states performance may vary consult with your financial professional before making an investment decision there's never any fomo with the iheart radio app you won't ever have to miss out on your favorite shows and contests with this radio station again radio 24 7 365 we're here when you want us stay connected and listen anywhere when you download the free iheart radio app the gomez law firm has been fighting for injured people for 50 years it's joe 
COA Gamas' 50th anniversary of practicing law. If you've been injured in an accident involving a company vehicle, hire personal injury attorney Joe Gamas, born and raised right here in San Antonio. Gamas Law Fights. Call 210-736-4040. When you order food for work on EasyCater.com, we've got your back with 24-7 support to make sure everything goes right. Confirming with the restaurant, guiding drivers when they need delivery instructions, making sure the food arrives on time and is ordered. But if there's a problem... Thanks for calling Easy Cater. Call us anytime, day or night, and we'll answer in seconds. Because food for work has to work. And we're right here to make sure it does. 100,000 restaurants, one platform. Order 24-7 at easycater.com. Go with your gut. Your dog's immune system is based in the gut. A diet lacking in nutrients can cause itching, scratching, and a weak immune system. However, there is a solution. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E. Dinovite. It took a grand total of two weeks. The dog stopped itching, the hair stopped falling out. Try Dinovite for free. Just pay shipping and handling. Learn more at Dinovite.com slash radio. Happier, healthier with every bite. Over a million pets helped with Dinovite. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines. Uh, Minnie is next in line. Good morning, Minnie. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. I was out of town for like four weeks, and when I came back, my yard is a mess. A lot of brown spots, a lot of meat growing. So tell me what I have to do step by step. Well, um, for you know, controlling weeds and things like that, uh, your your main grass, whether it's Bermuda or St. Augustine, is probably brown now because, you know, it got really chilly while you were gone. And so that means that you can get out and spray with your vinegar orange oil mix, two ounces of orange oil to a gallon of strong vinegar, and it will kill the green weeds, the dandelions, hen chickweed, all the things that are coming up. It will kill those without hurting your grass at all. So you can you can be you can have all those weeds dead in a matter of uh, uh, a day. Just uh, uh, again, just pretty much spray every part of your your lawn that has weeds coming up with, uh, again, it's a gallon of strong vinegar, two ounces of orange oil, and maybe a little dish soap, maybe a little bit of molasses in there, and that will take care of the weeds. Now, as far as freeze, uh, I don't want to say damage, because a lot of the perennials out there, it's time for them to freeze back. Your different salvias that may have frozen, uh, your lantanas, your kufias, I just cut them back to probably two inches in height. Most everybody's pretty moist now, but when they do need water, I'd certainly add a little bit of Hester Grow or maybe a little bit of Super Thrive, a little bit of Garrett Juice just to help things come back out. But um, unless you left tropical plants, I talked to somebody yesterday that made the mistake of leaving Plumeria and various house plants out, and they're pretty much frozen and dead now. But most everything that was growing in your yard froze down but will probably come back out. It's just going to be a matter of put on your old clothes and get out and cut them back and throw the clippings in the compost pile. I say put on your old clothes because if you have things like banana palms and alocasia, that sap will stain worse than anything I have ever encountered. So uh, it's going to be it's going to be a bit of work. It's going to be a bit of a mess. But... Uh, it's going to be a beautiful day to get out and get to work on it. 
And what about the brown spots in my grass? Do I need You're, to put compost on it or compost is the need? compost is the best possible thing you could do. Put it over the brown spots because it will help the grass grow back into those areas, but put it everywhere you possibly can because it will do a lot to keep more weeds from sprouting. Uh, it's pretty easy to get rid of the ones that are up there, but if you put your compost on probably in December, you probably wouldn't have had hardly any weeds at all sprout. So uh, get out there with your compost. If you haven't fertilized in the past couple of months, uh, it would be very good to put on some good organic fertilizer as well. It's uh, There's just a lot to do in the yard this time of year, especially when we have a hard freeze like that. But fertilizer, compost, that's really important for the soil and to get things off to a good start in the spring. The rest of it's just a little bit of exercise, cutting back the things that did freeze. All right, Bob. Thank you so much for your advice again. Well, it's my pleasure. I I was going to say, I guess I got your day planned for you, or maybe your week planned for you, but the nice thing is you've got some beautiful weather to be outside, Minnie. So I appreciate the phone call. You get out and enjoy, and I'll move on to Fred. Good morning, Fred. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Good morning, Fred. Bob, are you there? I'm right here. How are you, sir? Sounds like Fred Morales. (laughs) It is. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You know, I just assumed it hadn't gotten to, you know, 11 degrees up in the hill country, but uh, it is what it is, and uh, it is Texas, so, uh, you know, it, it, we just have to expect some of this, and I I just want to know how it is that the Farmer's Almanac got it right a year ago when the weathermen have trouble getting it right a week in advance, much less, or a day in advance, much less a week in advance, but, you know, this is Texas, and uh um, hopefully the, the problem things froze and everything else survived. What's going on in your world? Well, you know, we have to be ready for anything, I guess, nowadays. Amen. In many different ways. <laughs> so I'm trying to uh, um, get ready to start getting the Bermuda grass to wake up down here. And uh-huh. um, I experimented a little bit last year with some molasses and really liked what I saw. But I'm yep. wondering if you could recommend a rate of application, gallons of molasses per acre. About seven gallons. be the most productive. Yeah, about seven gallons per acre will do it. And if you can get a molasses that has some urea in it, uh, you're getting a little bit of extra nitrogen uh, along with it. But, um, yeah, about seven gallons per acre. Your water is just a carrier. It doesn't matter whether you mix those uh, seven gallons with, you know, 50 gallons of water or five gallons of water. Uh, you want to, of course, be sure that it's thinned out enough to go through your sprayer. But, uh, you know, I've, I've got a Continental Belt and Sprayer that runs off the PTO on the tractor. And I usually, if I fill that tank all the way up, it'll cover, it's been a while since I did it. It seems like it covers about five acres. So, um, you know, I'll just, uh, seven gallons per acre. Uh, I'll put like 35 gallons uh, in there, fill the tank the rest of the way up, and uh, I'm good to go. I have some fish emulsion. Would it benefit Uh to add some of that with it? It will very definitely benefit any of the usual supplements that you want to add, like fish emulsion, like liquid seaweed, um, you know, like some very finely powdered uh, azomite or uh, any any of those things, a little bit of uh, Medina products like the... uh, 
uh, Medina Plus or the Medina Soil Activator, all those things will be good. Uh, but the the beauty of the molasses, it, it suppresses some of the bad weeds and things, but it's a great nutrient, great for the microbes in the soil. Um, there's just not really any negatives to molasses, and even if you don't put out as much as you should, you'll get some benefit, and if you overdo it, it's not going to hurt anything except the bank account. So the seven gallons per acre, is that like an annual application, or would you break that up into several applications? Oh, that's a great question, and if you're simply, you know, if you were planting and growing a crop, let's say you're growing uh, Sudan or an annual hay something like that, um, I would, you know, use it a couple of times during the growing season. If you're growing coastal, I would apply it every time you, you cut your field, every time you bale, go back and follow up with uh, some molasses afterwards. Is the seven gallons per acre an application rate for an annual, for a season, or each time you harvest? Each time you harvest. Each time you apply, I guess, should be the best way because you're probably going to apply even at times you're not harvesting. But anytime you're going to make an application, um, that's, you know, that you can dilute that down pretty well and, uh, it'll make it grow through your sprayer a whole lot easier. But, uh, yeah, that, that would be per application. That's the rate that you want to put it down. Does it affect, would you do it when you had a lot of foliage or would you do it before you had is it going to detrimentally affect the leaf growth? Could you put you it know, on the leaves, or do again, you put it on the soil directly? Uh, again, you ask really, really good questions. The benefit from the molasses itself is going to be primarily to the soil. Not, you know, we can't even say, well, Malcolm Beck used to tell us, we don't feed the plants, we feed the soil, and the soil feeds the plants. So you're with just straight molasses, you're benefiting the soil, so... You can put it on pre-planting. You can put it on, you know, mid-winter when your coastal's all frozen back. It doesn't really make any difference. But now, if you're adding things like your liquid seaweed, like your fish emulsion, uh, those products, many of those are absorbed through the foliage of the plant. So it's great to, you know, apply that as a foliar spray uh, when, you know, when your plants have some active green foliage on them, not when they're, you know, really shriveled and suffering from July heat. But uh, if you're adding other things to your molasses, I think a foliar spray is beneficial. If you're just doing molasses alone, you're primarily treating the soil, not the plant. So you do it at your convenience. It doesn't hurt anything uh, to put it, you know, have it hit the foliage, but neither does it really benefit. You don't, I guess what I'm saying is you don't have to wait for foliage before you put it out. Very good. Very good. Well, listen, thanks a whole lot for the information. I appreciate it, and you have a great day. Well, you do the same. Everything good with Morales Feed? Oh, everything's great. We're just delighted we have the best moisture conditions we've had in a long, long, long time. Yeah, we've got a lot to smile about and be thankful for, and love sending people down your way because we know you take such good care of them. So uh, say hi to your family, and uh, look forward to talking again, Fred. Thanks so much for the call this morning. Have a great day. You too. (laughs) Goodbye. All right, uh, hang on just a second, Mark. You're up next, but uh, the log says I get to talk about Medina agriculture, and that's so much fun because I've known Stuart Frankie and his family for many, many years. Uh, Of course, Medina's been there a long time, and they have just built so much of a business around supporting the soil, supporting the life in the soil, supporting the, well, really working with nature, then trying to replace nature, 
nature or, you know, work against nature. The products that they make, everything from their fertilizers to both dry and liquid to their soil supplements uh, like Medina Plus and uh, Medina Soil Activator to the compounds that they actually bottle. They don't make orange oil. They don't make seaweed, but they bottle the best that they can find anywhere. So Medina is always focused on quality. They're not out there telling you about all the fine things they've done with uh, bioremediation and pollution control real wide. I get uh, worldwide. I, I get to tell you about those things, but just know you're not only dealing with quality products, you're dealing with quality people that work on a daily basis to make the world a better place and that's the kind of folks I like to support. If you want to see all the products that Medina makes, go to their website medinaag.com You want to find their products? Visit a good nursery, a good feed store, anywhere that sells quality products for your plants they're almost certainly going to carry great products from our friends at Medina South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, let's get back to gardening. It's going to be Megan and Mike and Omar. Megan is first in line. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Oh, it's just a beautiful day out there and can't wait to get back out into it. Very nice day, yes. Um, Okay, so I put in an irrigation system last year. And I have really struggled with finding the right, you know, amount to to put out. Mm -hmm. So my question is, um, why can't I just basically, uh, and I have bubblers on some of the trees, and then, of course, Uh I have the lawn, which I don't particularly care about what grass grows. I just want to, you know, plant the trees. Sure. Sure. Um, so can I not just emulate rainfall with, the, you know, do away with the bubblers and emulate rainfall? I have an argument with my son going back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you, what you want to what you want to do is kind of duplicate what heavy rainfall would do. You certainly don't want to do what we've had up until this past week, which is light, frequent rains. Right. Um, you when you water, you want to you know put down a you know, a good thorough drenching. So what you need to do is uh, in where you have your grass and things, put out some little straight-sided dishes, cat food cans, put out something that uh, you can can catch the water in and turn your sprinkler system on and see how long it takes to run about an inch to an inch and a half of water into that can. Let's say it takes an hour and a half, well, then you just need to set that zone on your sprinkler system to run for an hour and a half when it runs, and it'll kind of depend on the season as to how often you should run it. Uh, during the winter, it's probably going to be every three weeks. During the summer, it should never be more than once a week, but uh, there will be some things you have to adjust. But the way you figure out how much water is by putting out something so that you can determine how long it takes to run, usually about an inch and a half water, and on most sprinkler systems, that's going to be somewhere between an hour and an hour and a half. Now, your shrub beds and trees where you have your bubblers around, if you have them well-placed in adequate numbers of them, you'll want to wet that soil deeper. You'll want to wet that soil, you know, probably a minimum of six to eight inches deep. It doesn't necessarily mean they need to run longer because a bubbler tends to put out more water than a sprayer. But by the same token, you know, put... 
whatever you would use to, you know, to catch the water. Uh, it might mean that you, you know, actually have to bend one of your bubblers over or something else. But time how long it would take to run uh, four or five inches of water out through that bubbler, and that's how long your zone that the bubblers are on, that's how long it should run at a time. It's not a matter of... Uh, of how often it is, it's a matter of how much. That's the critical thing. Uh, but, and, you know, if you're putting out the proper amount, it may seem like a lot of water at one time, but then you can wait a week, 10 days, two weeks, uh, maybe even longer on your bubbler zone before you have to do it again. So does that make sense? Yeah, so, so use a combination then, in other words. Yeah. Don't just be like, okay. Um, so yeah, shouldn't my... The people who put in my irrigation system be able to, I know there's a dial on there. Is that reliable to get them to say, okay, here's this many gallons. Uh, can that be broken down into how many gallons I put out in the bubblers as opposed to? Your, your, standard, your standard irrigation controller is merely a timer. Um, you can set it to run for, you know, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, hour and a half, however long. You're going to have to do the determination of how long it takes to put out that inch of water. And then your controller should be, um, you know, and if you're dealing with a decent irrigation company, I wish you'd call me first because I'd send you to SA Rainmaker. They are the best of the best out there and they really take care of their customers. In fact, they go out and fix things that are some other not quite so good systems uh, that people have installed. But um, uh, they they should certainly be able to help you see how to set it. And uh, again, I just I suspect a lot of these companies. Well, I know they set them to run way too often and not nearly wrong, long enough. I think it's just because they want you to see the sprinkler system running and want you to be thankful for the thousands of dollars you spent with them. But uh, again, it's uh, you, it needs to run long enough at one time to do the job. But I can't imagine ever, even in the middle of the summer, needing to water more than once a week. And uh, okay. you know, in the winter time, it'll be even less. So. Uh, uh, call your company if you don't get satisfaction or if you don't feel like they've installed a good controller on your system. Uh, compared to the overall system, compared to the labor of installing it, that controller is not a very expensive piece of equipment. Uh, if you're not happy with what you've got, do call Bill over at SA Rainmaker and just have him come out and put a new controller on and show you how it works. Okay, well, I will do that. Okay, so I'm not sure that I did my trees very well last year with mm -hmm. this new system. I, I, I saw some signs of suffering, I thought. And um, so um, I heard you say last week that you can still, um, even in the winter, be, I, I'm going to use the term drenching. I don't know if that's correct. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. Fill my burrows and things. So, and I do have a, a yard guy that helps me. Um, so what... What should I do to really ensure the health of these trees? Well, if we get back to regular rainfall, you probably won't have to do anything. If we go into a droughty situation, uh, if we go for a month or more without rainfall, then you probably just need to give them a good thorough soaking. But it will depend somewhat on the type of the tree, on the age of the tree. It's it's just it, it's hard to 
give you a blanket statement, um, you know, as to how much. If you want somebody well, to come out and look with you, I would recommend Sam Sitterly to you with Green Grower Organics. But um, uh, what you can do if you ever want is make a list of your trees, take a picture of your trees, uh, go see a good nursery, come see us, go see Fanix, go see some of the people that know what they're doing. And uh, I think any of us would be more than happy to help. Um, but <laughs> well, <laughs> because it's so busy. Yeah. Like Garrett juice and this, and I mean, are those you know like feeding your trees? Is that something you should do? I mean, you said something about as long as they're in good health. Yeah, it's feeding is important on shrubs and grass and things. Uh, Megan, let me get Jimmy to put you on hold. We'll talk a little bit more about this after the news. This is KTSA Radio San Antonio. South Texas gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right. Back to gardening. Uh, Jimmy, did Megan hold on? She's still there. All right. Let's go ahead and visit with her a little bit more, and then we'll move on to Mike and Omar. But um, uh, that that sort of covers the basics, uh, Megan. What what else can I tell you? I, well, I have to get out right on time for news. I'm sorry to cut you yeah, off there, but go no, ahead. No, and I don't want to take. You. I'll, I'm going to call Sam Sitterly and the SA Rainmakers. So, just one other question. I have uh, some a couple of durantas that are in between uh, some Mount Laurels that I have. Uh-huh. And, of course, you know, the durantas just get so big, and, and I'm afraid they're sort of shading out. I want the mountain laurels because my son actually grew those from seed. Uh-huh. Um, so how do I take out durantas? I'm sure the roots are all intermixed with the uh, mountain laurels at this point. Do they give you pretty flowers? Are they one of yeah, the more attractive yeah. varieties? Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't take them out. I'd just prune them a little bit more heavily. They lend themselves to pruning, and if yeah. you prune maybe three times during the growing season, you keep them down to three or maybe four feet in height. You'll still get all the flowers, but not going to be so tall that they cause any problems at all to those mountain laurels. So, uh, yeah, if okay. you if you wanted to dig them out, they don't have uh, they don't have big heavy roots. You could you could dig them out with a sharpshooter or something, but. Um, and, and there's some durances that are grown more for the foliage, and I'm not real crazy about. Uh, but there are others that uh, just, you know, they give you a lot of flowers. Uh, butterflies love them. The hummingbirds love them. So oh, yeah. I just, yeah, I just be a little okay. more active with the pruning shears and keep them down to more manageable size. Well, that's what I'll do, and uh, and I appreciate that. Uh, I did think of something. I have a. Um, um, Chili patine bush that I'm uh-huh. sure the freeze guy would just fine, you know that. But I I decided before the freeze, and I'm hoping I didn't do anything wrong to it. I thought I'm just going to give that thing a haircut and throw all that in a paper bag so I can harvest the berries without <laughs> bending over all the time. Because I thought well, it's going to freeze anyway, and they come back. Did I? Oh, is that no, you didn't. You did just fine, and it's probably going to come back. It would have frozen back, and uh, you'll have a better quality pepper and. You can be my like do like my friend uh, Cappy Lawton does. Cappy's one of the best cooks and restaurateurs I've ever known, and he was yeah. telling me, and I don't think I'm giving away any of his secrets, but he likes to cut them in half and smoke them, and then use them in various dishes. And uh, judging from the results, I say they're absolutely delicious. So no, you did nothing wrong. You did it right. If you want to go one step further, that's just one more way you might have not thought of using those uh, chili pecans. Well, these are just a little round ones. Yeah. 
So still still flavorful. Still, yeah. 10,000 well, mockingbirds can't be wrong. Oh, I love them. They're so good. <laughs> well, thank very you good. very much. You it's my pleasure, day. Megan. Good questions. Thank you you too. Uh-huh. Bye. All right. Next in line is Mike. Good morning, Mike. Morning, Bob. Um, morning. Just have a few few questions. Uh, first one, I've heard you t- say that if you add sand to clay soil, you basically turn it into concrete. Yep. And so my question is, is that not true with lava sand? No, lava sand is a generally a much coarser material. Um, I finely ground lava sand. Yeah, you'd be doing the same thing. But typically, uh, most of the lava sand you get is going to be on the order of uh, rock salt size. Um, I guess there could be a minor problem with it, but uh, I'd get around that by simply uh, adding some compost along with your lava sand, and you should be just fine. But no, due to the fact that it's a you know much larger particle and uh, has some different physical and chemical properties, uh, not going to be nearly the problem it would be with. Uh, you know, even with potete red sand or any of the finer sands, so it's just it's a real good coarse material. But you know, if you're if you're buying lava sand, you know, poke a little hole in that bag and be sure you're not getting what we call the fines, the stuff that's really broken up. It should be the consistency of rock salts or a little larger. Okay, thanks. Um, next question: What does it mean that my rosemary is flowering? Does that mean it's uh, near the end, or is that no. normal? No, that's perfectly normal. Uh, it, it depends on the variety. Uh, most of them have that blue lavender flower. There's some that have more of a pinker flower, some of them almost white. Uh, they're probably, I'm just guessing, but they're probably 30 or 40 varieties of rosemary out there. Some of them are much more upright than others, uh, and they do bloom at different seasons. So uh, the, the time of year is determined by the day length. Um, so I can't tell you they always bloom in the spring or they always bloom in the fall. It'll just depend on which one of the many, many different kinds of rosemaries you have, and that's perfectly normal. All it's telling you is that uh, it's time for the plant to bloom. It's not a sign of good health or bad health. Uh, it's just a mature plant. Okay, thanks. Um, next question. I've been looking for about two years now for a Miwa kumquat tree, and I haven't been able to find one anywhere. I've been at every nursery around. Any idea why why that is? Well, they're a little slower to propagate, a little slower growing, and the blasted Department of Agriculture does not allow citrus to be shipped into Texas. Every citrus tree yeah. sold in Texas has to be grown in Texas. And unfortunately, you know, the reasoning is they're trying to keep out a disease that's already here. So don't get me started on mm. politics of the situation. <laughs> yeah. But um, uh, it's just that, you know, we only have really two citrus growers. And they, quite frankly, they can grow bigger trees faster when they're growing Myers lemons and Mexican limes mm-hmm. and things like that. They generally have at least some of them available Um Oh, golly, I'm trying to think when our next shipment is coming. I'm sure Fanix will be getting uh, their big shipment, uh, or a big shipment, probably sometime in February. You might yeah. call, and I don't know if uh, I'd, most nurseries are so busy, you can't rely on them to put you on a list and call you. But I would just, you know, make it a once-a-week thing to, you know, call your favorite nurseries and say, you know, don't mean to bug you, but have you gotten your citrus in and did you get any Miwas? Because uh, they okay. are out there, but 
Uh, the growers probably produce 100 Myers lemons for every Miwa kumquat. And uh, be sure you are getting Miwa. That's a, that's a sweet kumquat. Yeah. There's a sour kumquat as well that has other uses. But just keep pestering the nurseries because they're out there. They're just in very limited supply. And uh, <laughs> if you procrastinate, you'll miss out on them. But, you know, most nurseries start getting citrus in sometime in February. So uh, uh, just keep pestering us, and we'll let you know when they come in. Okay, I mean, great. The, the industry, not not necessarily just me individually, but uh, the nursery yeah. industry in general. We, uh, we're, you know, our purpose for all of us is to be out there to help you. Thanks. Um, real quick, what is that gift market you're always talking about? What, what is that? It is uh, 9 million square feet of showrooms from literally all. Most of them are, are companies based either in the United States or Canada, but they import things from all over it is strictly a trade show it is strictly for you know the retail uh people it's uh, general public is okay. not eligible to go but to give you an idea of the size of it it uh it's four buildings each of which basically covers a city block most of them are around 20 to 25 stories high and uh nine million square feet you know that would be taking the uh, oh, golly. <laughs> Imagine taking a football stadium and multiplying it by about 25, and that's yeah. how much walking we do. Of course, you know, we don't do the whole thing. We don't do the furniture. We don't do the carpets. But uh, it is a it is a huge, huge thing, and it's open year-round, so to speak, but twice a year in January and July, the people who own the companies are actually manning the showroom. So that's why, you know, at the appropriate time, every January, every July, you're going to find us heading off to Atlanta to find some more neat stuff. Okay. Thank you very much, Bob. Always a pleasure. I appreciate the call this morning. And uh, let's see here. I guess let's take uh, one more phone call before we do another break, and that would be Omar. Good morning, Omar. Hello, Bob. How you doing? Oh, just a beautiful morning out there. It's a great day. Yes, sir. <clears throat> um, I've got a Myers lemon that had two big sheets of uh, insulate wrapped, and uh, it still, you know, lost all the leaves. But I'm wondering, I don't think I lost the tree. There's a couple of small branches well above the grass that are still green. Right. There's also a couple of branches uh, right at or just above the grass that have thorns on it, which I'm assuming is part of the rootstock. If it's big thorns, yes. Um, there is a thornless Meyer lim- Myers lemon, but uh, and all Myers lemons are improved Myers lemons. You don't have to look for one that says improved. But typically the thorns will be you know, half, three-quarters of an inch long. Typically, the rootstock is going to put out thorns that are an inch and a half to two and a half inches long. So uh, small thorns, not definitive. Big thorns very definitely are. And I'm, and I'm sorry, I, I misspoke because that was the last thing I looked at. It's my key lime that is that is uh, that I lost the, the, the leaf. I, and once and, uh, again, there there's a thornless... Uh, there's a thornless key lime or Mexican lime, uh, but once again, the the standard one is going to have short thorns on it. If these are big, really hurt your thorns, then it probably is the rootstock. Okay, because I mean it is right at the graft and the yeah. just it, slightly above. Yeah, almost almost certainly from the rootstock. Uh, I'd go ahead and prune them off if it was mine. Gotcha. I'll do it. Get out and enjoy. All righty. Thank you, sir. 
You're welcome, Omar. Thank you for the call this morning. All right, let's take a little break here and talk about Dr. Mark Williamson. I really enjoy talking about Dr. Williamson. And, uh, you know, we were talking about, uh, my partner and I were talking about here on our street, Sunset Road, where our nursery is, Golly, there have been so many dental offices open up, and it seems like they're about 10 times more than there used to be. And my reasoning is probably, well, it's just because it's such an age of specialization. Most dentists, if it's more than something simple, they're going to send you to a specialist for, oh, just all kinds of different things. Well, Dr. Williamson is the most broadly trained dentist uh, I think I've ever known, and he's a specialist that they send people to for so many different things. Now, you stop and think, wouldn't it be nicer just to go to one office to begin with where you've got a very competent dentist and staff, but somebody that can take care of any dental problems that you're likely to have. And let me tell you, it's a friendly, welcoming environment. He's not going to be criticizing you because maybe you put off some of the treatments you needed. He just wants to get your oral health in good shape because that's going to mean a longer, healthier life for you. Uh, They're conveniently located out on Cherry Ridge Drive, northwest San Antonio, and it'd just be the friendliest staff you just you almost have to go to really fully appreciate you know what what a different sort of place it is Uh, maybe you're new to the area maybe your dentist is retired or moved on looking for a good dentist well i'd suggest that you call dr williamson and associates and get to know him phone number is easy to remember 210-341-2569 and like i say easy to locate and the, they offer sedation dentistry if you have dental anxiety. Just a, just a neat office and very, very competent treatment. Dr. Williamson and Associates. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening on this beautiful Sunday morning. We're going to talk to Doug and then Michelle. Do have a couple of open lines. If you're getting a busy signal, (laughs) phone lines have been pretty busy this morning, but got a couple of them open right now. You know the number, 210-599-5555. And we say good morning, Doug. Hey, good morning, Bob. A quick question. Can I get and can I grow in Fredericksburg a pawpaw tree? Um... You're a little on the cold side. Uh, perhaps on the sheltered side of a building, um, you could certainly, you know, give it a shot. But uh, Fredericksburg, uh, you know, how, how cold did y'all get this past week? Somewhere down in single digits? Yeah, seven, eight, eight. Yeah, that's you. You need to have a uh, <laughs> you need to have a, a a little cabin somewhere a little bit further south to be certain that you oh, could yeah. do well with a pawpaw. I I don't think that they would survive that kind of temperature all right if i put it in a large container and pull it out of the barn with my tractor oh sure yeah yeah absolutely it uh it kind of limits your ability to travel in the middle of the winter though because uh like i say i i can't uh, I just don't understand how it is that the Farmer's Almanac got this cold spell right a year in advance, and uh, the meteorologists yeah. just weren't even predicting what actually happened two weeks in advance. But, uh, no, if, if, you, if you are on the land, so to speak, to be able to move it when we do suddenly have uh, uh, severe weather forecasts, you, you'll do fine in a big container, probably something the size of a molasses tub or something like that. Where do you, where can you get 
you uh, you might be able. Uh, I'll probably see uh, Mark and Mike Fanix later this week. I will ask them, or you might call Fanix. I think they'd be your only okay. local source. Will be likely to have them. I'm sure you can find them online because they're fairly commonly grown by some of your bigger. Uh, uh, perennial vegetable growers uh, don't really have a name for you, but uh, uh, you might might check with Baker Creek, but I, I think you'll probably find them online. But check with Fanix first. I will. Thank you very much, Bob. Always good to hear from you. Thank you. And next in line is Michelle. Good morning, Michelle. Hi. Can good I morning. Grow a, good morning. Can I grow a pomelo? tree from a pomelo seed. Uh, you planning to move to Florida? Or a very least no, Corpus Christi? No, but I know somebody that has one in San Antonio in their yard. And have you talked to them to see how they came through this past week's cold weather? No. No, I haven't. <laughs> now, you know, it's, it's kind of... I'm going to put it right there in the same category as a tangerine or something like that. Probably going to be okay down to about 20 degrees. And, you know, up until 2021, we've gone for 30 years without severe damaging cold. But now three years in a row, we have had just, you know, just really, really harsh conditions that I would be very surprised if it survived. Now, uh, like my last caller, Doug, if you want to put it in a big pot and if you have a way to move it around, and you can certainly do that. You know, they have these things they call plant caddies that you can put a pretty fair-sized pot on and actually roll them around. Uh, you can either do that or you can build a little greenhouse over it in the winter months and should be able to grow one. But uh, the kind of weather that we had last week, no, it's not going to survive. How big do they get? Um... Oh, I would say on average uh, ten to twelve feet. You can okay. you can trim them to keep them somewhat smaller, but uh, uh, again, I don't know anywhere in Texas that uh, that they're grown commercially, even in the citrus belt. When you get all the way down to the valley, I don't know of anyone that's tried growing them down there. There is a nursery in Harlingen. I think they're still there, called Rivers End. Uh, you might Google that, and if you can find a phone number, call them, because if anybody in Texas, you know, has one, that's probably where you would find it. It's a River's End uh, a nursery. They specialize in unusual fruit trees, and uh, they're down in Harlingen, and they would be the only place I would know of in Texas should be likely to find one. Okay, I appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good well, day. You do the same. I appreciate the phone call this morning. And uh, let me see. Yeah, we've got time to take one more caller, and that would be Kay. Good morning, Kay. Hi, how are you? Just I have a question. Go right ahead. Um, it's, not, it's about acorns. Okay. I have a whole bunch. Of, I mean, I must have two quarts of, of uh, acorns that I picked up in the yard. Mm-hmm. And I keep looking at them. And I keep thinking, you know, they come up by themselves in my yard if I don't, you know, in certain areas. But is there anything I can do with them? It's like, do I, what do I do with them? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I want to do something with them. <laughs> well, they, you know, an acorn is, uh, is, is a seed and as such is high in proteins and is proteins. It's high in nitrogen. Uh, if you can find a way to, 
basically crush them up, and maybe that just means going sweeping them up off the driveway after after your car's run over them a few times. But um, uh, as you know, as a large acorn, not a whole lot really to do. I would keep them away from your dog. Doctor Kirby and I were talking about this a little while back that. Uh, uh, they have. We used to think that acorns were just, you know, a problem that could be a blockage if a dog ate too many of them or ate one that was too large. But they're now finding that acorns have some very severe toxic qualities, and you do not want to allow your dogs to eat them. So um, it is probably if, if you have uh, if you have canine friends, it's probably good to keep them raked up as best you can. But uh, short of you know just putting them in a compost pile or running them through a wood chipper or something like that, and that might be a little dangerous. It might be like acorn-sized buckshot going everywhere. But uh, uh, other than growing new trees from them, no, not really a whole lot to do. Good, good answer. Okay, uh, and speaking of the acorns, I have an Aussie mix, an Aussie uh-huh. doodle. Uh-huh. And I, I'm going to ask you. I know it's not dog time yet, but I'm going to ask you if you don't, if you know. I have trouble getting a treat for him. He is huge. I mean, he's 73 pounds, and he's the sweetest dog in the world. But I don't. I give him a treat, and it's like he eats. Eat, it's gone. I mean, oh, yeah. I can't yeah, find it's... a treat that he could chew on. <laughs> well, if you, you know, to me, a treat is something a dog eats, and I would right. de- definitely talk to. Uh, uh, Diane Farrar down at uh, Fifi and Fido's top dog Diana we call her and she will have the best in treats now if you're looking for a chew something for him to chew on do not give him a white tail antlers because uh you know, even my labs, uh, I'm, I'm dogless at this point, hopefully just temporarily, but my labs would chew a whitetail antler up in an afternoon. But if you know anyone that hunts uh, the hill country, we've got an awful lot of axis deer up there. Their antlers are much harder. Dr. Kirby tells me that the dog's saliva softens them enough that uh, they're not going to damage the teeth. But uh, a piece of axis antler, oh, golly, it... it takes even a strong dog it'll take him two years to really chew it up uh also the same thing is true of moose antlers and i'm not sure about elk but uh before we before we discovered how good axis antlers were we spent a lot of money buying moose antlers and uh they're the same way it'll take him an extended period of time to uh chew those up and until they've chewed them down you know they're not going to splinter they're not going to be something dangerous for your dog so uh um if you're looking for a good chew toy you know that's what we've given our labs and goldens very successfully over the years but you know you're a good dog mommy you you know to monitor them when they start getting chewed down or if you have one that's really starting to crack or splinter no just take it away and get another one but uh uh, axis antlers are what we've used for the past few years, and they work extremely well. And if you know anybody that hunts, uh, chances are, or if you know anybody with property, what we call the sheds, and axis deer sheds its antlers just as a whitetail does. So uh, um, the the so-called sheds work very well, too, if you know anybody that's picked any up on their property. Um, you know, it seems like one question leads to another, leads to another topic. Uh, they have found that uh, you need to be very careful in cutting them. Uh, if you're using a saw that produces a very fine dust, you don't want to breathe it. It can cause some lung problems. But, you know, wear your mask that everybody told you was going to protect you from COVID and, you know, cut them down in 8 or 10-inch pieces and your dog will love you for it. 
great, good information. Thank you. You're amazing. Thank you so very much. Well, I, I just, <laughs> I made so many mistakes in life. If I could just keep you from making the same ones, uh, one of my one of my sayings is: if I had it to do over, I'd make all the same mistakes. I just make them a lot sooner. <laughs> <laughs> and there it's you uh, go. Okay. always a pleasure Thanks talking to people help, that well it's always my pleasure thank you all right let's see here probably yes it is time that i need to take another break here and i get to talk about southwest metal roofing systems another of my favorite topics because oh how many yards have i seen or shrubs and things have i seen totally torn up when people were replacing that shingle roof over and over and ask anybody who puts on shingle roofs they'll be damaged by the cold they'll be damaged by the heat they'll be damaged by you know intense sunlight they'll certainly be damaged by hail if you have a nice a quality metal roof, and not all metal roofs are the same. Before we knew about Southwest Metal Roofing Systems, we thought we were dealing with a reputable company. They put on a metal roof that rusted out, and they wouldn't stand behind their guarantee. Well, let me tell you, Southwest Metal Roofing Systems, you're never going to have that experience. These folks put on a true lifetime quality roof. They give you the best warranty in the business, and they stand behind that warranty. Southwest Metal Roofing Systems roofs are not only durable, but they look great. If you don't like the look of standing seam metal, they have roofs that look like ceramic tile or slate or shake shingles. And if you like different colors, there's quite an array of colors that are truly, again, I've had the red roof on my home for probably over 20 years now. It hasn't faded uh, visibly that I can tell. I love my Southwest Metal Roofing Systems roof on my home. We love the roof they put on our Shades of Green Nursery here when we replace that lousy roof and uh, quite frankly southwest metal roofing systems roof wasn't any more expensive than the original one that didn't last the roofs are very reasonably priced especially considering the money you're going to save on your utilities and most insurance companies will give you a discount because they know they're not going to be paying claims love southwest metal roofing systems learn more their motto is do it once do it for life You'll reach them at 210-822-6868, 210-822-6868. And, yes, they do new roofs as well. So if you're having the pleasure of building a new home, tell your builder you want Southwest Metal Roofing Systems to put the roof on. You'll never regret it. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right. Well, Jimmy tells me we've got uh, completely open phone lines. Nobody waiting. So if you've been getting a busy signal, it'll be a great time to dial 210-599-5555. Uh, excuse me. One thing uh, that I talked a little bit about yesterday, but I think bears repeating today, is planting potatoes. Potatoes are very, very easy to grow. Now, we're talking your regular Oh, uh, you know, red potato, baking potato, whatever you want to call it. Not sweet potatoes. That's a whole different story. We'll save for probably sometime in May when it's time to plant them. But if you want to grow other potatoes, anything from Yukon Gold to the purple potatoes to the standard big old russets and others, they grow very easily in this part of the world, but you need to know a few things about them. You don't want to just get potatoes from the grocery store because they've probably been chemically treated or else flash frozen to kill those eyes so that they won't sprout and grow. 
You want to get what are called certified seed potatoes, and that's what you're going to find at your good nurseries. I mean, anybody selling potatoes uh, that knows the business would would know what to have. And they are, well, first of all, they're disease-free. That's what the certified part is about. And there are various blights that can affect uh, that can affect potatoes. But uh, uh, you want to get your seed potatoes when it is the appropriate time to plant. And if you're down south, you can plant this early San Antonio and Certainly up in the hill country, I'm going to recommend waiting to plant uh, two to four weeks, kind of depending on what the weather does. One thing about potatoes, if they if you plant them too early and they sprout and freeze back, they will come back out again. They can regrow even a couple of times if they freeze back. Beyond that, uh, they just don't have enough strength to really do well. But um, when it's time to plant... You'll take your potatoes, you will cut them in sections. You want to try to leave uh, at least two eyes on each section. And then you can roll those cut, you want to cauterize those cut edges. Uh, for years, what everybody used was wood ashes, and those are still okay. If you want to go one better, the powdered rock phosphate that we use in the hole underneath our tomato plants, that's another excellent thing to cauterize the uh, potatoes. And then you, replant, you, can, re, or you can plant them immediately. Um, I just, you know, what I'll do is I'll take a bucket, put some of my rock phosphate in there, cut up my seed potatoes, put in there, and, you know, kind of sprinkle the rock phosphate around so I'm sure that I've covered all the cut edges. And then go out and plant them. Don't plant them deep like they do up north. Plant them so there's about an inch of soil over the top. They're going to sprout. They're going to start growing after they've been in oh a few weeks. Now, some people like to do what is called banking them, which just means piling soil up around the plants, holding them more upright. Uh, it's you don't have to worry about burying the root flare on a potato. Obviously, we're not going to do that to trees or things. And if you want to do that, that's fine. I've just never seen that it increases the amount of potatoes or the weight of potatoes and. Uh, you know, I, I just I really don't think it's necessary, but you can do it if you want to. The one thing you do need to watch is for the appearance of potatoes at the surface of the soil. The Many of the potatoes are going to grow very shallow, and if they're actually up on the surface of the soil where the sunlight can hit them, they'll start developing uh, green pigment, the chlorophyll, and that pretty much ruins them as an eating potato. So you do want to keep them well mulched. You do want to perhaps add a little bit more soil uh, if you see potatoes growing right at the surface. After they've been in uh, a number of weeks, take your index finger. You can start probing around the base of the plants. Uh, you'll find potatoes probably maybe the size of a Brussels sprout on up to the size of a golf ball. If you want to go ahead and just pop some of those out of the ground and enjoy them as new potatoes, you're not really going to set the big plants that much. They're going to go on making more potatoes, especially right down at the base, which is where your bigger potatoes are always going to be. You're going to let your potatoes grow until until early summer when the top starts to die off that's the time that you'll probably dig the plants and harvest the bigger potatoes there's more to tell you about growing potatoes but uh, just wanted to uh, just wanted to cover a little bit of that because we are getting real close to potato planting season all right now all of a sudden we have Juan Chicken Joe Wendy and Annette on the phone line so we'll get back to your questions and Juan is first in line good morning sir oh Juan dropped we're going to Chicken Joe Oh, Juan dropped off. His phone quit on him. So, Chicken Joe, you just jumped to the front. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, sir. Hey, I got a couple of questions for you this morning. I hope they've okay. all been discussed already because I couldn't sign in yesterday or earlier this morning. But um, 
It's interesting. Uh, I covered all my plants for the freeze, and then I uncovered them, and they all appear to be dead. <laughs> what did you cover with? Uh, winter weight insulate. Okay. You probably just got extra, extra cold. We had uh, your Denver weather in South Texas, uh, also in Atlanta where I was. Um, most perennials, things like lantanas and plumbago and uh, esperanza, things like that, they're going to come back out without any problem. Uh, it just got too cold for periwinkles and impatiens and begonias, and they probably needed to go anyway. So what what all did you have covered, Joe? Well, I have my Duranta, and it, it looks pretty. It'll be back. I'm sure it'll come back. Yeah, it, it'll be back out. Just cut off the frozen part, and it'll regrow quickly when it warms up. And the Mexican flame vine, my blue sky vine, you know, pretty much the whole, the whole landscape. Well, you know, on some of the... Yeah, um, no, that should be back out. Your vines, I always recommend mulching them as well as covering them. Yeah. Uh, if the bases are mulched, they'll almost certainly come out below the level of the mulch. That's what I do with, you know, really tender things. But, uh, yeah. you know, even even Mexican flame vine and, and your Duranta, uh, not your Duranta, but uh, uh, your different sky vines and things, they'll, they'll almost certainly be back out. But, uh, no, the, yeah. it just got too cold. Uh, about the only way to have really protected them would have been to build a little greenhouse or put a little pop-up greenhouse or something over them. And, yeah. and people people do that and then put a little heater in there or something. But uh, fortunately, we don't get this kind of weather very often. Unfortunately, we've had it three years in a row, so I don't know what to think about yeah. in the future. But that's a whole other subject. Interestingly, my loquats just came through. You know, they, they just look great. And, you yep. know, I had loquats from starting 1980 till we got our snow, uh, mega snow or whatever we call it a couple of years ago. Right. I lost all but three or four of them that year. Uh, but now I'm wondering if the drought has hurt them more than the freeze. Well, the drought did, you know, the drought following the freezing weather was very damaging to them. But uh, if there's anything good about the severely cold temperatures that we had, it was much briefer. To 2021, it got down and it stayed cold. We were below freezing for like three or four days, never getting really even back up uh, above the low 20s, and that took out a lot of loquats, unfortunately. Um, again, I was yeah. fighting the same weather over in Atlanta last week when all this happened, <laughs> but uh, uh, it wasn't a prolonged cold like it was in 2021, so I don't think we're going to see nearly the level of damage that we did back then. Yeah, yeah. Well, do you think uh, this week would be a good time to put out the beneficial nematodes for this year? Um, depends on what you're fighting. It's a little early for grub worms, but there's certainly, yeah, fleas, you're fine to put them out now. In fact, we plan to put some out ourselves. Um, wireworms in the vegetable garden, absolutely put some beneficial nematodes out for those. If you're in an area where you have a lot of ticks, and there are a lot of ticks around, uh, the ticks are still down at ground level. Uh, so beneficial nematodes will take care of them if you're just fighting fire ants. And I don't recommend killing all the fire ants. I kill the ones in my yard and in my garden. But uh, fire ants do a good deal to control ticks as well. So I pretty much leave them alone out in the pastures. But, um, yeah, it's a good time. 
to put out beneficial nematodes, but if your principal things you're fighting are grub worms, you're a little early. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, okay. I, I probably have. A, I'll probably remember about four or five questions after we hang up. But that's, that's, I think that's all I've got for now. So. <laughs> well, you call me. If, you call back if you think of any other show, and it's always good okay. to talk to you. Thank all you, right. sir. Thank you, Bob. Uh, okay, you're bye welcome. Bye. Goodbye. All right, let me take a quick break here. Wendy and Annette will be my next two callers. I get to talk about Rhonda's Nature's Way. And uh, again, I love talking about Rhonda's Nature's Way because I feel like she has done so much to help me maintain my health, my energy, my hopefully good attitude. Anyway, it's helped me to live the life that I really enjoy, which is a very active lifestyle. And the things Rhonda can do for you, I mean, good supplementation good supplements we just don't get everything we need in our diets especially as we get older things to support your immune system knock on wood i came through all the covid in great shape my one bout with it lasted about eight hours i feel like at least a lot of that was due to the fact that uh, she helped me keep my immune system in really good shape and you know, she, she'll help you if you've decided to lose a little bit of weight, but you don't want to give up some of those things that really taste good. Go see her. You'll be amazed what all they have at Rhonda's Nature's Way. She also offers reflexology. She offers beamer light therapy, red light therapy, foot backs, that detox, ear candling, lots of different natural things that will help you live a better, healthier life. Find out what I'm talking about. You can't go see her today because the store is closed on Sundays, always Sundays and major holidays, but she and her staff are there Monday through Saturday virtually every week. Easy to find over in the shopping center at the corner of I-10 and Callahan, kind of across the parking lot from Sprouts. I'll probably see you over there because I visit frequently to Rhonda's Nature's Way. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to the phone lines and uh, Wendy and then Annette. Wendy's first in line. Good morning, Wendy. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Hey, I live up in Kyle, and before I started listening to you, I uh, made the mistake of buying a five-in-one grafted apple tree from an (laughs) online vendor. Okay. It's never done that great. Three of the grafts have died off. A couple of them are still kind of hanging on. But there is, of course, you know, sprouts coming from below the grafts that are doing well, which I've taken off, but it keeps sprouting. And I'm wondering (laughs) if there's any benefit in leaving one of those and maybe it would actually do better and flower to pollinate the others. Not going to happen. But... If you want to, you can leave it there, and you could regraft it, you know, with an appropriate variety. Graftings, you know, I learned it when I was, what, a sophomore in college, and uh, uh, it's not a real complex process, and there's no reason that you couldn't let that rootstock grow out and regraft. But the, the problem with, you know, with what you got uh, is that, and and who knows what variety you probably you know they they lure you in with familiar apple names the ones that you see yeah. in the grocery store and uh unfortunately the most of those varieties just don't grow here because apples are like peaches they have to have a certain amount of chilling weather before they're able to bloom and make apples and uh you've probably never heard of uh Lowenstein, Lodi or Gravenstein or 
some of these other. There's some Israeli apples out there that were developed as low-chilling apples. Uh, believe it or not, Yellow Delicious is a low-chilling apple, but Red Delicious is not. But you've just got to be sure that your apple trees will flower will produce in an area here in san antonio we're in about a 550 600 hour chilling zone a little bit more than that in the hill country but most of the apple varieties i'm sure that were grafted on your tree are more like 1200 hour uh chill apples so um, even if they get pollinated, even if they bloom, they're not going to produce fruit for you, and they're probably not going to flower. But if you want to let that rootstock grow out and, you know, regraft it with Summer Champion or Beverly Hills or Yellow Delicious or uh, some of the lower chilling apple, you just want to have an apple tree, you certainly can do that. And um, it, anyway, that's sort of the long and the short. Uh, don't beat yourself up. The only mistake you made is buying from, you know, the wrong source and just simply getting a plant that will never do well here. So let the the root stock that's growing or that new stuff grow and then cut off kind of everything else and then graft onto it. If you if you want to do that, you will be successful at it, and it certainly there's no problem at all with doing that. You can also just hop in the car and drive over to Phoenix you know, and, and, and buy an apple tree that's uh, that's ready. You know that is a variety that's good for this area, and in a couple of years she'll be you know picking apples. But I you know. I, I, it's fun to do and nothing at all wrong with regrafting that tree. And uh, you can tell your friends two or three years from now, hey, you know, I did that. I'm, I'm the person responsible for that. So if it were me, I'd go buy a new tree just so I'd have a good tree. And then I'd probably let the other grow out and regraft it just for fun. Okay. Um, do you have time for another question? Yeah, go right ahead. Um, people sometimes talk about pulling their tomato plants and hanging them and then harvesting kind of off the hanging. But I'm trying to keep all my my roots in the ground. Can you just cut at the base and hang it? Absolutely. And it's a whole lot easier just to pick the tomatoes and put them in the windowsill. They're not going to be any better and you're going to have you know dead tomato leaves falling all over the house or wherever you put it so just uh you know it's and we're just believe it or not we're just probably six eight weeks away from being able to plant more tomatoes so go ahead and you know it anything that froze if your tomato plants froze and the fruit that was on them froze uh it's not going to ripen well you can use it to make chow chow or hot sauce or something but uh um only reason to hang it or do anything else is if is if the tomato fruit didn't freeze but uh it wasn't mature so um make well, I made a choice the mistake of putting it in the house so now i've got a mess but i just didn't know <laughs> for next time if i should pull the roots up or if they're if they're just picking them is way less messy it says oh totally up to you makes no difference whatsoever okay okay i appreciate it thank you so much for taking my call Always a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, And that was Wendy. And next in line, let me see here how much time we have. Yeah, we've got almost uh, three and a half minutes. That would be time to get started, at least with Annette. Good morning, Annette. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. My brother brother got a new leaf vacuum, and he was showing it off, so I asked him to bring me over his bagged leaves so I could make some leaf mold. And while he was here, he was telling me that he got a new whole house filter and he ended up with a bag of charcoal pellets and the technician had told me you can throw them out 
backyard. It'll be good for your grass. And he was like, could you use that for your garden? So you I sure, was wondering you, what your opinion was about that. Well, it's you can buy that sort of stuff under the name of biochar, and it's uh, something that has been you know, done for a couple of thousand years here on Earth, especially in the rainforest where they have lots of wood to, in effect, make charcoal. Now, this is not the same charcoal you get in the barbecue pit, but uh, it's not that it really, there's nothing in the charcoal that's really going to benefit the soil or your plants, but charcoal has the unique ability to detoxify, to you know, bind waste materials. That's why, you know, charcoal is sometimes prescribed. Some people eat charcoal to help control some of the problems in the gut. We use charcoal where there's been a chemical spill very widely. Uh, and unfortunately, there's some idiot uh, yard lawn service companies that will go out and spray the wrong you know, yard with some of the poisons and things like that, and the people want to go detoxify and get rid of those toxins. We use, you know, charcoal. We use carbon for that purpose. So uh, long answer to a short question. Uh, yes, your yard would benefit from just scattering uh, this relatively fine charcoal around, but it's not going to benefit because it's getting nutrients and things like that. It's going to benefit because it's you know has something that is going to take away some of the toxins that are probably out there. So as far as uh, like my vegetable garden, would it uh -huh. be best to put it in my homemade compost while it's composting or put it directly into the garden? I'd put it directly into the garden. No reason not to. Oh, okay. Okay, great. That's good to know. And then of the, on the leaf mold, uh, I guess they're, they're red, Texas red oak leaves is what he brought me. I, uh -huh. I've been picking up some spent coffee grounds um, from the coffee shop. With sure. that big, I usually put it in my compost. Uh, uh -huh. in, the, in the leaf mold, it's okay because I've heard you talking about how coffee will... Um, well. Yeah, leaf leaf mold is is just basically compost. <laughs> it, leaf mold is just composted uh, leaves. So uh, pretty much treat them the same way you would treat your you know your regular compost pile. Uh, limited amount of coffee grounds, I think, bring a lot of beneficial fungi and bring some good things. A large quantity of coffee grounds, we're finding that caffeine can sometimes stunt growth. So you didn't like anything else. All things in moderation. You don't want to overdo it, but um, yeah, mix in a bit of that in with your your developing compost with your leaf mold is no problem at all. And so even if it's spent, I understand that a lot of the caffeine is yeah. gone and spent coffee grounds. And yeah, one last you can thing do is that. now that I'm Annette, let me, a, let me get, I'm going to let Jimmy put you on hold because he'll be right back. You're listening to KTSA Radio in San Antonio, Texas. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now, 210-599-5555. All right, uh, let's get back to gardening and back to the phone lines. We're going to get one more question from Annette and then talk to Nick and Troy. Uh, good morning again, Annette. I'm sorry, I just have to get out right on the second for that national newscast, but uh, I'm talking to you again. Yes, yes. One last question. I believe now would be a good time to start sweet potato flip. Any hints you have for me to make sure I'm successful at this? It's you're a little early. Sweet potatoes okay. are a hot weather plant. We don't 
normally plant sweet potatoes in the garden in San Antonio, at least, until uh, sometime around Mother's Day. Uh, of course, who knows what the weather's going to do. I'm certainly not crazy enough to, you know, try to tell you <laughs> what the weather's going to do for the next three or four months. But um, I, I would say you're starting them a little bit early. You can go ahead, uh, if you like, you can start your slips, you can root your slips, you can put them in pots and let them grow. They're going to fill up your kitchen with green leaves, <laughs> and you're going to feel like you live in a jungle. But realistically, I probably would wait until, uh, oh, the middle of March or so to start your sweet potato slips. Once again, I'm so glad I called you. You saved me, Bob. Me too. <laughs> me too. And you call any time. We're always here to help. All right. Thanks so much, Bob. You have a great weekend. You do the same, Annette. Thank you. All right. Next in line is Nick, and then it'll be Troy's turn. Good morning, Nick. Hey, Bob. How are you? I'm good. It's a beautiful day out there. It's uh, like Mother Nature's kind of trying to apologize for what she did to us a couple of weeks ago. It's going to be a great day to be out working in the garden or just doing whatever makes you happy. Definitely. My uh, my question to you is, I came on the show a little late, and I heard you talking about potatoes. Now, did you say, I had planned on waiting until about the 15th of February, but did mm-hmm. you say now is a good time to go ahead and put them in the ground if that's what we're going to do? Where do you live? I'm over in shirts. Um, I'd wait till the middle of February. If you told me you were in uh, Jordanton or, you know, all the way down toward the coast somewhere, I'd tell you plant today. Shirts, uh, you're going to be a lot safer. And even the middle of February, they may come up and then may freeze back. We've had, oh, I think our latest freeze on record in San Antonio actually was not until uh, uh, well into April. So you're not guaranteed. But the nice thing about potatoes is if they freeze down, they will come back out. They can do that a couple of times. After that, they sort of used up all their energy. But uh, I think mid-February for San Antonio area, the near hill country, and certainly south of town is a great time to plant. And Bernie, probably going to be late February or March before I'll, I'd recommend planting. Okay. And then just out of curiosity, what's the? I was thinking about putting these in uh, containers as well, but what's the recommended amount of soil I would need if I... Like you said, just plant them an inch from the top. How much soil underneath do they need? I the deeper the better. Um, you might get by with uh, with twelve inches, but I'd want to have an eighteen inch deep bed if possible. Okay. They the, the, and and let me give you a brief reason that I say that um, some types of potatoes, sweet potatoes, they produce on the roots and those roots may go out you may have a sweet potato develop six or eight feet away from where the plant from where the vine is coming out of the ground so uh, i have grown sweet potatoes very successfully in a very shallow kind of wide container and i like doing that because that way i at least know where to start going to look for sweet potatoes but the other potatoes they're going to make all of their potatoes right at the very base of the plant you're not going to find a an extra potato even six inches away from it you're going to find them basically within two or three inches of the base of the plant and the biggest ones are going to develop directly underneath it so um there's there's a lot of reason to have a little bit deeper soil uh, for your standard baking potato, new potatoes, whatever, than you would for something like sweet potatoes, if that makes sense. 
That does. That does. And then I had one last quick question. Go right ahead. So, okay, I have hackberry trees in my yard, and uh, a lot of them are <laughs> 35, 40 years old, and they're, they uh-huh. are a nuisance. Um, I mean, they do provide great shade, but what I've started to notice is a lot of the branches, the bigger branches, the bark on the top of the branches is cracking and splitting open. Is that disease or is that just old age and they're getting ready to be done? It's probably drought. How big in diameter are these trees? Well, the one the one that I'm having a serious issue with really isn't that big. I'd say maybe, uh, I don't know, 24 to 30 inches round. <laughs> and do you mean around or through? Are we talking circumference or diameter? I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, if, I said, if it was going to be through, I'd say about, uh, yeah, probably about 15 inches through. Okay. Um, you just need to look at the tree. If the tree is healthy, if it puts out a good crop of leaves over most of the tree uh, this spring, it's going to be just fine. If the tree okay. suffered really badly, and there's a tree on property adjoining our nursery that I am very concerned about that's probably about that size that totally died in the drought, and so far the people have done nothing to take it down. And it's it, a hackberry tree is very heavy wood, and a dead hackberry tree very quickly becomes uh, a danger for limbs to fall and things like that. So I'm going right. to keep a close eye on all of those hackberries, and um, I'm going to make my decision based on how well they come out this spring at any size but um uh, if the if the bark is starting to split on top of the branches that tells me that tree is probably dead and once that bark starts to split those limbs are in danger of breaking and falling and uh you know don't don't string your hammock or park your car underneath that one for sure and uh if in doubt uh you know, you can call the good arborist. Uh, the guy I recommend is a consulting arborist. He doesn't doesn't have anything to sell you, but a little bit of time. Named David Vaughn, and uh, he's uh, <laughs> he's just the best of the best. He's the guy that teaches the courses that other arborists have to take if they want to be certified. And uh, uh, be happy to give you his contact information. But uh, if you want to hang on. You know, we're not more probably than five or six weeks away from the time that these trees would normally be leafing out. But take a good, close look at that tree. If you're seeing, if you're actually seeing bark peeling away, then you need to get something done pretty quickly. If you're just seeing cracks appear in the bark, um, again, I can't tell you absolutely without being there to look at it, uh, but that would just be kind of a warning sign to me. I pay real close attention to it. But if that bark is really starting to peel away from the tree, it's probably dead, needs to come down in the very near future. Okay, that makes sense then. Um, All right, Bob, I appreciate it. That's all I had. I appreciate the call. Thank you so very much. And uh, let me see here. Um, Are we up to Troy? Is that who we're we're up to at this point? Yep, Uh, start with Troy. I'll start with Troy, and then it'll be David and Kurt. Good morning, Troy. Yeah, Bob, uh, thanks for taking my call. I just have a couple of quick questions. That's what Uh, I'm here for. (laughs) Okay. I have a uh I have a big backyard. Uh I have some oak trees around the 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 alley and the property line around the perimeter. Uh-huh. But I'm wanting to plant a shade tree right in the middle of my backyard. Okay. Uh, I want one that uh is 
will be a pretty good sized tree and one that's pretty fast growing because I'm not a spring chicken. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> where, where, what area, what area did you live in, Troy? Uh, close to Bandera Road in Hillcrest, that area there. Okay, the fastest growing, relatively good quality shade tree that you can plant is going to be a Mexican sycamore. Um, okay. We have some here at the nursery that are probably, you know, 40 feet tall, 50 feet tall, that are just, you know, less than 15 years old. So mm. this tree makes a nice shade tree. It is totally deciduous, drops its leaves ultimately or eventually in the winter. Uh, some of ours, you know, still have a few leaves hanging on. But if uh, if a big tree and a fast-growing tree is what you're looking for, uh, it would be a very good choice. If, when we get into real droughty weather, you're going to have to give it a little bit of supplemental water. Uh, they in nature you see them growing along you know creek beds and things like that and it's not a water hog it's not a willow tree by any means but if you you know if you said I want a shade tree and I want it now I want something that'll live 50 years but probably don't have to worry about 200 uh, Mexican sycamore would certainly be my first choice okay sounds good okay and uh, I was also gonna ask your advice uh, I have, until two years ago, had a, a really nice yard, lawn, and the last two years has just uh, really taken a toll, you know, right. the heat, uh, no water. But I'm wanting to, wanting to try to get it back, and I'm just wondering what I should do now uh, to get ready to try to, to try to get that yard back. Because all I, I mean, a lot of my yard, I have some winter grass. Uh-huh. But a lot of it is just bare, and the dirt is just comp. The soil is compacted. You know, it looks like mm-hmm. nothing would grow through it. Well, the uh, two things I would do, and I'd do them this afternoon or as soon as you can. I would go ahead and fertilize good organic fertilizer from Medina or Maestro Grow or Nature's Creation. Uh, but you know, we want to support whatever grass you have. Uh, you may have Bermuda, which you know has underground runners, which comes back pretty quickly with care. Uh, I don't really are... have very little Bermuda. I okay. don't have much Bermuda. Well, if you if you plan to replant and you plan to plant something like St. Augustine, I think it's still a good idea uh, to do the same okay. thing. But I would I'd fertilize first of all, good fertilizer. And then probably most importantly, I put like a half inch of compost over it. That's going to suppress the weeds. That's going to, any grass that's alive that's there, it's going to bring it back out and get it growing and spreading. And we're not really going to know how much grass, you know, beneficial grass you have left for another six weeks or so. We're still in winter. It's hard to believe it when you look out there and it's blue skies and bright sunshine. But uh, you're no matter what you do, you're not going to get a lot of regrowth. you probably get some good, healthy winter weeds. But um, I, still, I, my advice would be fertilizer and compost. And if you're only going to do one, I would do the compost. Uh, it's, I don't know, it's just amazing what it does, how it suppresses the weeds, how it brings back stuff that I, you know, have thought was dead. Only bad side is it's a bit of work. It's, uh, I, you know, for the first, uh, uh, the first few hundred square feet, it's exercise. After that, it gets to be work. So, you know, don't try to do the whole yard in one day. But, um, 
Uh, that, that would be my advice, fertilizer and compost. When we get to, say, the middle of March, the 1st of April, we can really see what what of your grass that was left is coming back out. Then we can talk about how to go back, go to get it looking like it did before two years of drought and, and grub worms. Okay, when I put this compost down, should I... Uh, just put it on top of the soil the way it is, or do I need yeah. to break it up a little bit or no. anything like that? No, it, it will soften your soil. Compost is full of uh, things that are called humic acids and fulvic acids and things that naturally loosen the soil. Um, all you're going to do is tear up your sprinkler system and break your back if you're trying to get out there and spade it up or go over it with a tiller. doesn't really accomplish anything. Just put it on the surface, uh, water, let it rain on it, and you'll be amazed how it will change the consistency of the soil underneath. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure, Troy. Thank you for the call. Uh, Jimmy, let's get a break in here. When we come back, we'll talk to David and Kurt. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right. Back to gardening on a beautiful Sunday morning. I believe next in line is David. Good morning, David. Morning, Bob. Morning, sir. uh, I just got the tail end of the conversation about the chili pekins. Since I've been blessed with an overabundance of them this year, well, not only that, but there's another pepper growing out there. It's the size of almost the size of a pinto bean, and they end up turning red. I don't know uh-huh. what you call those, but could you please repeat the, the use of? Uh, I, I think it had to do with somebody's restaurant. Well, yeah, it's. Uh, I was talking about my friend Cappy Lawton, and I don't think he's a fellow oh. that uh, owns Cappy's and La Fonda on Main and Mamas and lots of lots of good places. But Cappy's just, and he's done like two cookbooks now. He's just one of the best chefs I've ever known. And he was telling me that one thing he does with the with the little chilies is uh, cut them open and smoke them, and then use them in you know various dishes and things like that. What you have is probably the the plants are very similar and i don't really know the science behind it but the most people just refer to the little one as chili i think it's chili pekins or the little ones chili patines or the bigger ones i might have that backwards but basically they're both uh in a group of what we call bird peppers because that's you know the, they tend to come up wherever the birds happen to be sitting and pooping so to speak but uh, as far as their growth as far as their use as far as their hardiness um they're practically the same plant because everything is exactly the same one of them just has a slightly larger pepper I'm not discriminating enough in my taste, and while I like some heat, I don't like extremely hot things, so uh, I, I'm not going to tell you I could tell the difference from one or the other because I'm not going to be eating them raw like the mockingbirds do. You know, birds don't taste heat, uh, so that's why you see your mockingbird sitting there picking the peppers off and eating them, and uh, if you tried to do the same thing, you'd be uh, you'd be hurting pretty quickly. I already tried it. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and if you get into something like that, just good old granulated sugar is the best thing you can put on your tongue or your lips or whatever else. But it'll keep you uncomfortable enough you'll remember not to do it again. I'll be darned. I ran in and got some almond milk. That didn't help. So uh, when you say smoke them, how how would you smoke something that small? Or are you talking about putting them in a pan and uh, just whatever you call that? 
I, you know, I when we're doing stuff on the grill that uh, would have the potential for falling through, uh, even things like Brussels sprouts or asparagus or things like that, you can get, in effect, a basket made for cooking and or smoking, uh, you know, relatively small things, and anywhere that carries good grilling accessories probably would have that. And uh, um, next time I see Cappy, which may very well be this week, we <laughs> we dine at his restaurants fairly often. I'll ask him exactly what he uses, but um, uh, I, I think you can find the same sort of basket. You're not going to use a collar. You're going to use something that will stand up to the heat. Uh, but the same sort of thing that you would use for Something like, uh, again, Brussels sprouts are one of the things we do on the grill pretty often, and sure does work well, and I think the peppers should do fine there. I got a basket. I'll have to check the mesh on it. Yeah, uh, yeah is, but, and of you course, know, you do it, you do it in a smoker, really, as opposed, uh, you know, to the same grill you're cooking on, or you would modify your grill to turn it into a smoker. I've, smoker, this year, the right. first time I've really been introduced to, Doing some good smoking and having caught an abundance of trout on a fishing trip, uh, let me tell you, you can do some awfully good smoking on things once you once you get it figured out. But that that's how I do your your uh, peppers either way. I'll give it a try. But now the greatest problem I got is how can I beat the mockingbirds and the other birds that eat them all before I get to them? Well, they make something that looks kind of like a big version of an old fashioned lady's hairnet. And uh, it's simply called bird netting. Very inexpensive. Uh, um, you know, if you stretch it out, you can barely see it. We use it to keep deer from jumping into the garden. But go to a good nursery or garden center and get a little bit of bird netting and just drape it over it, and the birds will be frustrated. Okay. It's, that, I've got my work cut out because I've got at least a dozen of those plants in the backyard. Yeah. But we're going to give it a try, Bob. Thank you. You should be very successful with it. Um, they they may or may not have suffered freeze damage. Even in the hard freezes, I've always had them come out. But uh, most of the chili pekins I've looked at since I got back in town a couple of days ago, they're pretty much frozen down to two inches high. So it may take it a little while before you're picking peppers. But uh, then again, maybe you're sure in a protected enough area that you can move forward with them a little sooner. Well, I'm in Pasadena most of the time and it okay. doesn't seem to be affected too bad so no you all right, stayed bob. a lot warmer over there <laughs> well, I, thank you bob have a good i day. appreciate the call you're certainly welcome right. thank you goodbye. goodbye uh jimmy let's go ahead and get a break done and then we'll be right back with more phone calls south texas gardening with bob webster is on the air news talk 550 ktsa and fm 1071 all right, back to gardening. Uh, Jimmy, we're up to Kurt next. Is that where I am on my list? Yes, sir. Oh, that's what I thought. Kurt, good morning. Good morning, Bob. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Appreciate it. Well, you. my pleasure. Glad you called. Yeah, I've been been uh, wanting to talk to you for a week and a half or so. I noticed uh, I've got two plants in the front in a raised flower bed. Um, uh, two sagos, sago palms, mm-hmm. right, and a uh, and a passion vine. Sure you're familiar with that passion flower uh-huh yeah and they got hit pretty hard you've probably been asked questions comparable to this i'm sure <laughs> i just hadn't been able to listen to you as much as i wanted to so i apologize if Matt oh no no apologies necessary i don't i don't think i've uh, answered a single question yesterday or today so uh happy oh. to do so but let's uh let's talk about the passion vine first what color are the blooms on it purple and purple. is it a fairly fragrant 
flower? Uh, I, I can't say one way or the other. Um, it didn't put out, I planted it this spring. Uh-huh. Um, in a, I think it was a one-gallon pot. Okay. Um, put a trellis behind it, um, and a, a, like a, I don't know, a five-foot, not quite six-foot trellis, and it took yeah. off. I was really pleased in it. It was really very vibrant. Put out mm-hmm. put out a few blooms um, here and there, um, but really it was largely foliage, and it really filled out that trellis, and I was, I was very happy. Um, a very good. freeze came, and it hit, hit pretty hard. <laughs> well, the passion vines, you probably have a variety called incense, absolutely beautiful, and I think next uh, summer do take time to smell the flowers because they're wonderful. Okay. But it is perfectly okay. normal for that plant to freeze back all the way to the ground every winter. Uh, it's okay. you know not a problem. It'll be back. You might as well cut it off because everything above the ground uh, has you know it's just frozen dead tissue. The reason I ask about the color, uh, there is a red form which is not nearly as cold hardy. There's a white form which is somewhere in between in cold hardiness, uh, but the purple ones tend to be very very resilient and come back. Uh, you know, ninety-nine percent of the time, so no concerns there. Uh, the when, when you, I'm sorry, ahead. when you say um, so, so should I just go ahead and just just get in there and 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 uh, and and get all the foliage out off all the creepers? It's not yellow; it just looks it just looks sad and droopy and soupy and like it's just no, lifeless. But it's kind of green, so should I just go ahead and <laughs> cut it down to the cut it's, it down to a couple inches above the ground and totally up, all that? Is that what you're telling yeah. me? Totally up to you. If you want to leave it, it's not going to make any difference to the plant. But chances are um, that particular, those vines are not going to come back. Uh, it, okay. it would be unusual if we're a really sheltered area. Uh, typically when something freezes, it turns a darker green. And if you want to give it a week or so just to be sure that it is truly frozen. But uh, okay. it's going to sprout out from the ground. It's probably going to sprout out some different areas, too, but it's actually coming off an underground runner. But um, okay. it's, you know, it's strictly cosmetic. You're not going to hurt anything if you want to leave it. But uh, uh, it, yeah, it, it will be in the front. And yeah. it doesn't correct itself i'm kind of like it kind of looks kind of bad give it a week and if it has if it doesn't look better then uh then go ahead and cut it off now here's the long and the short of sago palms they're not really a palm they're something we call a cycad and Mm. the good news is they're not badly hurt they're still alive the bad news is that a cycad only produces one burst of growth in a year it does all of its growing uh, if it's going to grow, and I'll tell you about that in just a second, but uh, it's going to produce all the fronds that it's going to produce for the whole year in about a three-week period, normally in April or May. So you've got a lot of ugly fronds to look at. I don't think that this cold was severe enough to actually hurt the plants. You might as well get in there anywhere that a frond is totally brown. Just cut it off. It's not going to do anything. Wear some gloves because you're going to find some spines in there, Mm. and you're going to get poked if you're not careful. So wear eye protection and use a good pair of pruning shears. But cut off everything that is unsightly. Fronds that are half green, half brown, I would cut off the brown part and leave the green there because that will support the plant and help it come back out Uh, Mm. in most cases uh, somewhere along about april may right down toward the center of the trunk 
You'll see a whole new set of fronds come out. You'll have anywhere from seven or eight up to 30 new fronds come out, and your sagos will be absolutely beautiful once again. But a few, in the case of the sagos, the male plants, female plants are separate uh, separate plants, and every now and then they decide to go into a reproductive mode. And when they've decided it's time to reproduce, they'll skip a year making new fronds, especially the female plants. So if your plants are really big, if this is the year that something inside of them said, you know, hey, this is a year for sex, not for growth, then you're going to be looking at two years with almost no new fronds on them. You will see a very unusual growth come out where the fronds should appear. Um I'm not going to take the time today to go through all of that. But anyway, uh, bottom line is you might as well cut the brown leaves off because they're not going to turn green again. Uh, and then it's just wait and see. There's nothing you can do to keep them from going into reproductive mode if their physiology says it's time to do that. But uh, come about April or May, you know, you'll get a whole new set of fronds and your plants will be absolutely beautiful again. Okay, excellent. Is there anything I can do, um, if there was, I guess you probably would have told me, for either one of those, uh, the Sago or the Passion, is in terms of water, any kind of soil amendment, uh, any kind of fertilizing that I should yeah, or shouldn't yeah, do? Or, just, yeah. good, good fertilizer, either uh, liquid or dry fertilizer, will be a benefit. Uh, most everybody got the best rain we've had in two years over yeah, the past yeah, week or ten days. So. Did. Just uh, feel the soil. When that soil, when you stick your finger in and the soil's really dry and knuckle deep, uh, then it's time to um, time to water. But um, okay. beyond that, just <laughs> find something else to distract yourself because you're not <laughs> go out go out okay. and plant some wintertime flowers, plant some pansies, plant some okay. dianthus, plant some uh, you know something that's going to give you. And if you a vegetable gardener, you can plant spinach, you can plant broccoli, you can plant snow peas, or lots of things you can be planting out there. But you're not going to see any change in your in your sago or in your passion vine for at least a couple of months now. Better, better off watching paint dry, is that what you're telling me? Just stop worrying about it. <laughs> well, whatever turns turns you on. I mean, my, okay. my list of things is so long, I've got a little sign somewhere that says, uh, the good Lord put me on this earth to accomplish a certain number of things. Right now I'm so far behind, I'll never die. I can find plenty of things to <laughs> keep me one. keep me busy You know, while oh, I'm waiting list, for the things to go back. Yeah. <laughs> okay, thank you so much, Bob. I appreciate everything you do. My pleasure, Kurt. Thank you for the call this morning. Yes, sir. Goodbye. All right. uh, Let's see. Uh, It's going to be Bruno and Elaine. Uh, Jimmy, I think we're caught up on breaks. We have one more before the show's over, so we'll take another call or two right now. And Bruno's first in line. Good morning, Bruno. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Excuse me. I got a question on the uh, rosemary, trimming them back. Did they suffer? Did they suffer some freeze damage, or do you just or are you just looking to control the size and shape? No, control the size and shape. It's about uh, four years old, roughly, and about three and a half feet high, and spreads yeah. up to about four feet wide. You can prune any time you like. Um, and of course, you know, you don't have to prune it all at once. If you use it for culinary purposes, um, you know, it's, it's awfully good in the kitchen, but we're just actually probably the, the ideal time to cut it back is going to be sometime around the first of March, sometime in about four or five weeks. But if right now is when you've got the spare time, uh, it's as dormant as it's going to get. 
and uh, you might as well go ahead and cut it back. Don't cut, don't take off more than uh, about a third of the green foliage at any one time. We never want to prune things so severely we've taken all the leaves away. But uh, if you want to go out and give it a haircut, as long as you're not overdoing it, this afternoon's just fine. Okay, so don't cut it off to a foot high completely. And yeah, in other words. no, yeah. I, I, if you if you really if you really want to reduce the size, what you can do, you know, get down and look very carefully at the plant. You'll probably see four or five long branches, sort of little trunk-like growth coming up on your rosemary. If you really want to reduce the size, you can cut about a third of those down to about a foot high, wait until they start to put on some new foliage, and then you can go cut down another third of them. Once they have started to come out, then you can, you know, make your last uh, cutting. You can get the size way down, but you have to do it in several steps rather than do it all at one time, or especially when we're getting this kind of rain, sometimes prune them back too heavily, they just fold up and die on you. So you want to do it uh, in in several steps. But if you just want to give it a haircut and cut it back to, you know, take off, you know, maybe maybe the top third of it, uh, still have lots of foliage on it, uh, go right ahead. Okay, thank you. I appreciate the information. That's what I'm here for, and I appreciate the call this morning, sir. Thank you so much. Goodbye. All right, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and talk to Elaine next. Good morning, Elaine. Good morning. Good morning. You probably answered one of my questions already. Go ahead and cut the asparagus back to the ground. Absolutely. Cut it back to about an inch tall. Okay. And, and get ready to start hard. harvesting because as the soil warms up, you should have lots of good fresh shoots and pick every one. Some people want to let some of them grow and pick the other ones. No. Uh, best thing you can do with your asparagus is for a limited period of time, depending on how young or old the plants are, pick everything that comes up. And when you stop picking, totally stop picking. Okay. Well, these are about four to five years old. So, oh yeah, you can you can you can pr- pick uh, everything comes out in the next six or eight weeks. Yeah, I had a huge crop last year. Got tired yeah. of it even. <laughs> I can't good. imagine that. You just you just haven't found enough recipes. There's so many good things to do, and there's hardly anything in the garden that's as good for your body. So I'm glad you've got a good patch. Yeah, I've got well, and it does spread if people want to get a little bit. Eventually, <laughs> they'll have a big big growth of it. Yes, ma'am. Go ahead. Okay. Second question is I was given a plant not knowing what the heck it is. I now think it is called a crown of uh, thorns. Uh Uh-huh. Something like that. It was about six inches tall when I got it. It's now three foot tall. The lady that gave it to me told told me, she said, I just planted this thing two days ago. What did she do? How do I trim it back? It's lost its leaves. Um, part of the stalk, but okay. it's still blooming down below that that area. I've got lots of shoots that have come out, and then the top is just beautiful. But I'd like to cut that back and and get rid of the long thorny part in the middle and start some more. <laughs> okay. Well, um, believe it or not, that plant's first cousin is a poinsettia. Uh, it may look like a cactus, but it is not a cactus. It is not related to the cactus. It's in a group of plants that we call euphorbias. Um, you grow it, 
similar to what you would grow other succulent plants. In other words, it wants really bright light. It never, ever wants to dry out. It'll survive drying out, but it won't continue to bloom well. So if you have a crown of thorns, um, kind of like I was telling Bruno about his uh, rosemary, you don't want to just totally butcher the plant at any one time uh cut it back you know maybe and and uh, you're saying that some of it has dropped a lot of the leaves but of the surface the the stems that would normally have leaves on them don't take off more than about a third at any one time you're going to be surprised when you cut it it's probably going to have a milky sap just as a poinsettia would uh, it's going to be sticky. It's going to drip. So you may want to pick a warm day to take it outside. It will not take freezing weather, so you cannot leave it outside. But you're yeah. either going to spread out a piece of plastic or you're going to, you know, take it outside to trim it back. And it's going to stay there for an hour or two until it gets through dripping sap all around. But um, grow it like any house plant. Lots of light. Fertilize regularly. And you can literally have flowers on it almost uh, 12 months out of the year. People that treat them more like cactus and let them get really dry don't get nearly as many flowers. The plants will survive. But you treat this just the same way you would treat a Dracaena or a Ficus or a or something like that. It'll reward you as long as it's got plenty of light. It'll give you blooms almost 12 months out of the year. Uh, there's a form, a giant crown of thorns that has fairly good-sized flowers. Uh, there's a more compact growing form. It's going to be a fun plant, and uh, if you ever want to root some of the cuttings, you can share it with your friends, just as uh, your friend did with you. Okay, so if I cut that place that's naked now, except for mm-hmm. thorns, cut it down. Should I cut cut it back? Should I cut it into pieces and then put that in a potting soil? Will it come out even if it doesn't have any fly, uh, leaves on it? Will it come Do- out? It, if it's alive and it's, did it have oh, yeah. leaves on it and they just recently dropped off? Yeah, they, I got it too dry. It, it uh, was sitting outside and I was in the hospital for a week and no one gave it any water. So that, but it, but it didn't freeze. It was, it was back okay. inside before no, it got cold. It in and I leave it on my front porch almost year round except for cold weather. Yeah, yeah. Well, number one, I'm glad you're back out of that hospital. That's uh, that's a place you want to stay away from. But uh, yeah. if you if you want to root some of your cuttings, they need to be relatively short, probably no more than three inches. And okay. you want to let them dry for a day or two. You want that cut in to do what we call callus. You want it to stop weeping okay. that sap. And uh, then root it in perlite. Keep your cuttings, uh, like I say, about three, four inches long. You can put quite a few cuttings in one pot if you like. Keep the perlite constantly moist. Give it bright light. And, uh, you know, about six weeks you should have lots of well-rooted little plants to pot up and share. Okay, well, I'll get about six of them out of the spot that's naked then. Yeah, very uh, good. I, uh, I, oh, well, if you have time, one more question. Sure, um, go ahead. I, I have an orchid that was given to my granddaughter when she was in the hospital three years ago, uh-huh. and I'm getting it is loaded with blooms. It's getting ready to pop. Anything very I need good. to do special? Uh, is it a Phalaenopsis? Do you know what kind of orchid it is? I, it's purple. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> and does it does it have like a stem that comes out that has multiple yes. flowers coming out? Okay, that's probably yes. a phalaenopsis. At this point, 
Um, water it when it's, you know, dry on the surface. This plant is something called an epiphyte. In nature, it would be growing on a tree limb or a wall or something like that. So you never want to let it get bone dry. You want to keep it out of hot and cold drafts. Do not put it where the heat vent hits it or it will cause all the flowers to drop off prematurely. Keep it where it gets good, very, very bright light. And when it is finished with this blooming cycle... Um, you probably want to repot it. Uh, it probably is still in sphagnum moss, which is what the growers start them out in. If you don't take it out of that and move it over to orchid bark, uh, the plant will go into a big decline and ultimately die. Uh, growing in orchid bark, it can probably grow and bloom for you for the next 40 years. So after the flowering cycle is finished, uh, then you probably will want to repot it. But for now, just water it, fertilize it, plenty of light, keep it out of hot and cold drafts, and enjoy it. Okay, and if I just bring it in to y'all's shop after it, this bloom season, can you help me get the right? Would somebody there be able to help me get a pot and the right stuff to repot it? In? If it's a if it's a slow if it's a busy day, we will happily help you with that. If it's a slow day, we might just repot it for you. So, uh, okay. yeah, we're happy to help in any way. I I started growing orchids in the science fair project in the eighth grade. I'm judge emeritus for the American Orchid Society, so been doing orchids a long time. The only problem wrong with that with that hobby is that it's addictive. If you get started on it. Uh, it'll get out of hand. I, I started three I plants. As, I'm sorry. I don't have room for any more plants right now, so that's, <laughs> that's why I just one. But, yes, it, it's, you know, and my, this one blooms two or three times a year. Oh, yeah. So, They're wonderful I, plants. I, as a science fair project, I started with three plants. By the time I was out of high school, I had 300 plants. By the time I was out of college, I had 3,000. I don't have anything yeah. like that these days. But just be aware, once you figure out how well you can grow them, uh, you may be tempted next time you have a place to get another one. But uh, other than that, I recommend the orchids very highly. The Phalaenopsis is very cold sensitive, so that one can't. It, it should be inside if the temperature is below 65 degrees. There are others that will take it colder than that. In fact, there's some that actually grow in the yard, but that's a whole other story for another time. So you enjoy your Phalaenopsis, and when it finishes blooming, let us help you get it repotted. Okay, thank you so much. Appreciate your show. Appreciate you. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye, Lane. Thank you. Uh, Jimmy, let's get our last break out of the way for the show, and uh, we'll come back and start with Chicken Joe. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right. Well, we're going to start with Chicken Joe. Probably have time for maybe one more call after that if anybody calls in, Jimmy. But right now, good morning again, Chicken Joe. What's happening? Hey, what did you forget the first I, time around? I guess, yeah, I guess I uttered a self-fulfilling prophecy there. But I forgot to ask you, I just, we just trimmed some deadwood out of our red oaks. Uh-huh. Of course, we painted all the all the wounds. But there were a couple of green uh, limbs crossed over. Uh, they're about two inches in diameter. And we cut those off. My question is, I don't think the beetles are flying right now, but do I need, still need to cover those with a tarp, or how, how long before they're safe beetle-wise? Well, um, you need to be able to keep any, any of the beetles away for about 10 days. 
Uh, and that's that's the problem because, as you know, we can be go from being very cold one day to within the next week we can have some very warm weather. And um, red oaks are especially bad when it comes to oak wilt because uh, once it once it starts, it, there's no stopping it. You know, live oaks we can actually turn oak wilt around. We can do a pretty jo- good job of preventing it. But if a red oak gets yeah. oak wilt, it's it's dead, and usually in about two yeah. weeks. So, uh, and but right. you can you know you can coat those wounds with anything. It doesn't have to be pruning paint. It could be yeah. you know common old. A lot of people feel like yeah. the water based uh, um, paints are maybe even better. But no, I I would very definitely uh, any now any wounds on live wood. Now cutting on dead wood. Um, it's not necessary to paint those at all yeah. because uh, what happens is the beetle brings the spore in, it germinates, it starts growing down into the wood. And, you know, if somebody called and said, hey, I had a hack, whack, and stack tree trimmer out here, and, you know, he, he left a couple of stubs sticking out and he didn't paint them, I'd tell him if it hadn't been, you know, very long, just, you know, go ahead and cut that limb back, you know, another six inches. And even if it had gotten affected, you would stop it because fungus doesn't grow that quickly. But uh, red oaks and live oaks, yeah, it is important to paint every wound that is made into into living wood. Okay, yeah, okay. Well, I'll go out. We we, we do all the wounds dead and alive just pro forma. Just, just to be absolutely sure. And I just use black spray. I just use cheap spray paint. Yeah, but, uh, and that that's yeah. just fine because, like I say, it only has to stay in place for 10 days or so and you're in good shape. And you've probably already found it, but you can get really pretty inexpensively a pole, you know, a telescoping pole that you put your can of paint up in the top of, and then it's just got a little cord you pull to spray, and you can reach, yeah. you know, 12, 15 feet up in the tree. So it's not like you have to put your old bones up on a ladder <laughs> just to be sure it gets right. sprayed. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I've got one of those. Well, real quick, I chuckled when I heard the gentleman worried about his passion vine. I wasn't yeah. laughing at him, but I was laughing at the irony of my experience, you know, that's the only thing in my landscape I don't cover up because all I want to do is keep it beaten back. <laughs> well, and yeah, and the the other thing about it, and another one of the reasons that I ask him about the color, I think it's pretty, but we've got a little bright pink one that's probably two inches in diameter, and that's the biggest weed in the world. It's trying to take over, and I keep saying save a little bit of it, but you look out, you know, toward the front, out toward the street here at the nursery, and all of a sudden it's trying to take over the whole flower bed again. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it's not usually a a problem of it being hurt by the cold weather. It's a problem of keeping it under control when it comes back and starts growing again. That's right. Okay, well, listen, I've got an additional question, and I'll see you later. Joe, we will look forward to it. And uh, you just don't forget to close that door up in Colorado next time you come down. Part of me thinks that you might have you might have just left the door open, and that's why we got some of this uh, Denver air came in a couple of weeks ago. So yeah. I, I go another, another 20, 30 years before we have to have another one like this. But realistically, you know what? might be next year it might be 20 years from now so always a pleasure talking with you uh i've enjoyed our friendship over what 30 40 years now yeah since the week you opened up there that'll make it 40 40 42 years so we appreciate you 
and okay, hope it's a good new year for you. And we'll we'll talk again. I've got less than uh, two minutes uh, before news time here, so I don't think we really have time to take another call. But um, just remind you that Dr. Kirby will be in here very shortly, so be thinking about the questions you might have regarding your pet's health. Things to do outside, great day to fertilize, great day to put the compost on the yard, great day to do any pruning that you need to do. Uh, unless it's, you know, you've got some real damage, don't prune climbing roses because climbing roses bloom on the growth that grew last fall. So even if the foliage looks bad, don't prune them or you're cheating yourself out of the flowers. Bush roses, we normally prune them around Valentine's Day. If you've got some cosmetic damage from the cold, I think you're probably safe to go ahead and prune them now. Um, we prune things that bloom in the summer. Coming up to the time, in fact, you do it right now, we prune crepe myrtles uh, and plants. Again, summer flowering plants are okay to prune, but the things that are going to bloom this spring, like Indian hawthorn, like spirea, um, oh gosh, just all of the uh, all the flowering quinces and uh, vines like Carolina jessamine, not Confederate jasmine, but Carolina jessamine, those are spring blooming, so let them bloom first before you prune. Mount laurels, same way. Don't prune your mountain laurels right now or you're going to be sacrificing all those fragrant flowers. Let them bloom this spring, and then after the flowers have faded, that's the time you're going to be pruning on those. So much more to talk about, but I guess we'll just have to do it again next Saturday when we'll do more, more gardening uh, from 5.30 until 9. Right now, stick around because Dr. Kirby's on his way. You're listening to KTSA Radio, San Antonio, Texas.